And ladies and gentlemen of the jury, the prosecution is not going to get that man today. No. Because I'm going to get him. Ladies and gentlemen, in this edition of the Hagman Report, Doug Hagman, Joe Hagman, together, America's premier father-son investigative reporting team, back in the saddle again. I want to welcome everybody. Uh, did you miss me? Miss me? <laughs> uh, seriously, uh, this weekend was uh, quite a weekend, of course. Uh, Tech Eric and my daughter Jackie uh, got married. I want to say congratulations to them. We were absent. Uh, tech, uh, uh, I, want to, I want to say thank you to uh, Ted Brower for an uh, for taking over the show, uh, sitting in the, in the chair and, and hosting Friday's show. And also thank you for your patience with respect to Thursday's show. It was, uh, an extended weekend, but we got through it. So it's good. Uh, a lot of news in, a lot of things in the news. By the way, help us out if you don't mind. Uh, subscribe to this broadcast or this channel, I should say YouTube channel. We're losing subscribers, uh, not by their, not by people deliberately unsubscribing. What's happening is, People are being unsubscribed, which is really unusual unless you're conservative. And of course, that's what we are. Biblically, uh, conservative, uh, biblical, um, and as well as, uh, politically conservative. It's interesting to watch the numbers. And, and there's, the, the numbers, it's not because we want to build up big numbers. The, the bigger the number, the bigger your presence. And we, we've got a pretty large presence. But there is a significance to that. When it comes to being one of the larger platforms, of course, you want to keep the numbers up there. And, and it's, it's interesting how that, that works up. We're seeing that on Twitter. We're seeing that on Facebook. We're seeing that with, the, with, with all across every platform. And, and everyone, if they're surviving Twitter, if they're surviving the social networking scene, it's interesting because everyone is being affected in that fashion. And this is an attempt to silence the, uh, the conservative and, uh, in particular the Christian conservatives. But anyway, having said that, so subscribe to our channel as well as follow us on social networking information on that, on all of the, uh, possibilities there at, uh, hagmanreport.com. Now, uh, tonight we've got a great show lined up for you tonight. Daniel Horowitz is going to be checking in hour two and hour three. Uh, we're going to be hearing from Stuart Rhodes, who is in Puerto Rico, giving us the real scoop just for a few minutes. He's in transit, actually. He's spent the, the better part of, I, I don't know, the, the month down in Puerto Rico. He's got to leave and then go right back. So we're getting him in that transit period. In fact, I think when John, Joe, when John was, uh, uh, talking to him, I think he was, uh, I think he was on the, riding on the back of a fire truck or something, uh, down in Puerto Rico. It was crazy. Uh, yeah. Um, he said that he would be coming to us live from a remote location. Could possibly be the airport. Could be on an airplane sitting there waiting to catch a flight. But either way, he's going to take the time out of his schedule while traveling to pop in for a little bit. And then Coach Dave is going to be joining us right? Um, if there's time. And, and we imagine that there will be as Stuart Rhodes is traveling. Go to HagmanReport.com, everyone, and bookmark that website. <clears throat> we put all of our news there and uh, pieces from other writers like Peter Chowka or Ted Breuer uh, and many others. There is a whole bunch of uh, great information up there today. 
And we're going to cover some of it on the show. And I want to remind people the portion of this nice broadcast brought to you by ZipRecruiter.com. That's ZipRecruiter.com. If you go to ZipRecruiter.com slash Hagman, if you're hiring, if you're a business owner, small, medium, large, doesn't matter, try it for free. Go to ZipRecruiter.com slash Hagman. So I want to get that in there. Before you start, go ahead. Far away. All right. Well, I want to start um, with a piece on Hagman report that I put together today. Uh, I just wrote a few paragraphs adding on to uh, a very interesting report that I found. And then after we get into this report, I want to get into the Antifa November 4th, uh, you know, day of rage civil war that they're trying to start because this ties directly into it. There is a uh, report that was put out by the Northern California Regional Intelligence Center or the uh, California Fusion Center as it is known. And it's titled Violent Tactics showcased at Berkeley riots likely to be used at future demonstrations. And it's a three-page PDF <clears throat> that outlines um, the violent tactics, tactics that are used by the far-left demonstrators, the Antifa people, and other Democratic-leaning extremist groups. And it not only lays out the type of violence that is brought to peaceful protests, but also indicates from in the report that Possibly, these groups may have received some kind of military training in guerrilla warfare. The report, um, I'm just going to read a few excerpts from the report. We ass- I can verify that. <clears throat> we assess that violent anti-fascists, Antifa, including anarchist extremists, are likely to coordinate and drill tactics for use at organized events in the San Francisco Bay Area. Recently observed tactics suggest that some of the violent anti-fascists may have had access to limited military-style training or knowledge. The report also warns against the use of improvised incendiary devices, fireworks, and other explosives for the purpose of violence against peaceful protesters as well as law enforcement. The report ends by stating that these extremists will continue to be violent and future peaceful protests are likely to encounter these violent thugs. Law enforcement is likely to encounter similar violent tactics where peaceful protests are co-opted by violent anti-fascists in future law enforcement may also face new or evolving techniques from these violent anti-fascists and anarchist extremists who have multiple online and offline resources available to draw upon. Violent anti-fascists may attempt to develop new tactics targeting law enforcement that could provoke responding officers into using uh, perceived excessive force against populations consisting of vo- both violent and nonviolent attendees. And the report <clears throat> outlines um, a lot of what these uh, tactics that are used are, from the black blocks to the IEDs, uh, human shields, element of surprise, reconnaissance and surveillance, the communication. And it's very well sourced, and it's sourced by a number of articles, YouTube videos that are used as examples of the tactics that we have seen these people use. And they also, uh, in this report, as I said before, talk about the possibility that we, uh, these people have been or have received military type training. Or if it's not the military training, then it is something they say they learned online uh, by, you know, doing a number of, of studying to, to find out different tactics to use. But this 
goes on to identify the tactics that are used and says that they have access to uh, military-style training or knowledge, possibly from publicly accessible guerrilla warfare manuals, books, and online media content. Tactics witnessed at riots in Berkeley in 2017 include... And then they go on to list the uh, different tactics that they've seen. The first one, black blocks. Violent anti-fascists have participated in black blocks where participants dress uniformly in black clothing, including ski masks and scarves. Uh, uniformity aids in the concealment of participants' identities to evade arrest. They carry backpacks to conceal weapon, carry a change of clothes, and first aid supplies along with other provisions. It also talks about the use of improvised weapons from pipes, bricks, hammers, bike locks, rocks, uh, pepper spray, dumpsters, is listed in here, soda cans. They talk about uh, the human shield aspect of it um, by intermingling in the crowds of peaceful protesters. And then underneath that is element of surprise where they avoid early detection by assembling off-site and then all rush in at once. But anyways, again, the report is up on HagmanReport.com, and it's a very interesting segment. Now, we know that Antifa has been planning this day of rage or the civil war on November 4th of this year. There's many websites dedicated to organ- organizing uh, these people together in different cities and under different organizational names. Now, there are also sites out there like Snopes and, and everybody who's trying to debunk this, saying, oh, no, they're not saying this, they're not calling for violence, they're not planning anything. But obviously we know differently. So we're going to take a quick look at what some of their own websites and literature says. And also in this first hour, we want to talk about and revisit uh, the Las Vegas shooting and what has happened since the last time we've talked about this, specifically with the security guard, Jesus Campos, who has and is missing after he was scheduled to do a number of TV appearances on Friday, one with Sean Hannity. Uh, He has since disappeared. It has come out that the gag order has been placed on the families, uh, on, on, on the security guard and his family, as the uh, independent journalist Laura Loomer attempted to go to the house after Campos was declared missing and was uh, basically told not to step foot on the property by an armed security guard, law enforcement officer, private investigator, we don't know. But there's a whole lot of questions surrounding this security guard. And you, you, did, you did your show today uh, on on this, like, uh, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, right? yeah. I mean, we started the show with this. We spent about the first 25 minutes on this, and then John asked, you know, 14 questions, 14 days later, 14 unanswered questions. And it is pretty crazy to see everything that's been going on. We've seen uh, the conflicts in the timeline between the uh, Las Vegas Police Department, the FBI, and MGM. We have this issue of the security guard, Jose Campos, who apparently has had all his details of his employment records from MGM scrubbed. Right. You can't find the licensing information as a security guard who works in a casino and needs to, to apply for as if they were to work there. There are a lot of questions as to who this guy really is. And, and one, if he is a security guard there or if he got caught up in that working in some other capacity as some kind of... Um, 
you know, governmental agent. And there still is a lot of questions, obviously, unanswered about the shooting and a lot of leaving a lot of people to uh, create a number of theories to look at this in different ways. And I, th- I think I think we need to do that. I oh, think yeah. We need to look at everything. Before you go down that road, because, by the way, I, I'm going to be talking with uh, Pat Campbell tomorrow, I believe. It, it's uh, it's tentative right now, but I'll be on uh, uh, KFAQ out of Tulsa. I believe it will be 7.30 a.m. tomorrow. I'm talking about the Vegas shooting. And, and we're going to have more on this. John is going to have more on this. You're going to have more on this. I'm going to have some more on this. We've been very quiet. And the reason we've been quiet is we've been assembling information. And when you do this, you really don't want to throw out too much of, you don't want to share your hand during the investigation. But, um, we can tell you this, that it's nothing, nothing is what it appears to be. And I'm very confident in that. But before you go down, too far down that road, let's revisit what, what you said about the, um, the groups, the different, uh, anti-fascist groups. Yeah. All right. Let's revisit that because you've got a number of websites. And I talked about this in my morning show. I believe, uh, um, well, it's, it's peppered throughout my morning show. And if you go to BTR, Blog Talk Radio, or if you go to Hagman Report, you can see the various, uh, topics. But the program descriptions are at BTR, Blog Talk Radio. But, but here's the thing. You've got websites like It's Going Down, um, Sub, uh, Dot Media, Insurrection, uh, News. You've got Revolutionary, the Revolutionary Abolitionist Movement. This is specifically out of Austin. And uh, now they're they're building resistance inside the United States, and, and, and here's what everyone and Joe and, and everyone listening here's what I really want people to understand. Um, and I spoke about this on my morning show this morning. There's an author, Diana West, extremely in, intelligent author, um, who wrote about the title of her book is called American Betrayal, the the, the salt on, on our, our nation's character. The reason I bring this up in the context of these anti-fascist groups is she talks about the communist uh, infiltration, and this happened during the FDR, really especially accelerated during FDR's time in office, the New Deal masqueraded that were provided cover for the communist movement. And it was the communist movement and infiltration inside our government under FDR that really springboarded, it actually it, 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 it created the Julius and Ethel Rosenberg. You'll have to forgive me. I'm, I'm under the weather today, but um, the Rosenbergs, when they were uh, when, when they were caught um, with uh, spying, and, and they were they were sentenced to death on April fifth, nineteen fifty one. The judge during that time said that they caused and will cause more deaths uh, by their by their infiltration, by their giving information to Soviet Russia at that time through their spying. And the reason I bring this up in this context is uh, we're seeing this same thing happen today. The communists are behind these anti-fascist movements. The communists are building these anti-fascist movements within the United States. They're building resistance inside the U.S. They've already infiltrated all of the government uh, agencies. And this is what Donald Trump is fighting. You know, today I talked about who or what are we taking our country back from. This is what we're taking our country back from. It's the covert element. This is the overt side. This is dangerous, but not half as dangerous as the covert side within our government. I don't know if that makes sense or not. But what we're seeing here in the short term is the chaos and violence that is taking place. Uh, on the streets of America. And, and this, again, they're, they're indivisible, has a manual out. Uh, you, you mentioned mm-hmm. about the Day of Rage. Refuse fascism. Right. And Snopes 
right. has an article out there. If you look up uh, on Snopes about November 4th in a civil war, they have concluded that those reports in, uh, are false, that there's absolutely nobody out there except, uh, you know, people like people. Alex Jones promoting right. this. Well, right here on refusefascism.org, I see two stories. November 4th, the day it begins. This nightmare must end. The Trump-Pence uh, regime must go. And it, and then and write another article. November 4th, we begin. Uh, and it talks about what they're going to do and how they're going to do it. They even held a conference on August 19th to give a presentation what we are calling for. And they list the date of November 4th as the day it's going to begin. They plan on um, gathering in over a dozen cities and campuses nationwide. And they want to, uh, they, they want to get violent. And they even say in their own words that the tactics that they use is, is gonna be, it's gonna reflect their beliefs. And, uh, not only that, they're soliciting donations for the ability to help, uh, mobilize people in order to get them where they want them to be. And there are a whole host of organizations who are working on this to try to make this happen. The left is preparing for war. Mm -hmm. Okay. Now, now, and, and I've seen so many of these snarky responses on uh, various message boards. Well, uh, bring it, bring it on. They're snowflakes. They're harmless, and they'll run at the first sign of gunfire. Look, I, I, I understand where you're coming from when you say that, but do not underestimate what they are attempting to do and don't underestimate the support system that they have okay yeah the, the, the people that you see out there throwing rocks and have masks on, on their faces over their faces those are the really the throwaways for this movement they're the uh, cannon fodder of George Soros and Hillary Clinton in my view What's, what's really dangerous is, is the support structure that they have because the tactics of their attack, they're, they're going to attack civilians, but they're also going to be, uh, attacking, uh, civilians and opposing groups. All right. But they're going after law enforcement as well. And we saw this, uh, and, and by the way, refuse fascism. You, you've got to understand that, that, that the, uh, the head of refuge fascism is, uh, and welcome Theo to the studio, Theo and Lady, by the way, who were both in the wedding. Uh, that's right. Oh my gosh, we gotta show a picture. Theo no. wore a, a tuxedo. Tux. Yeah. It was so cute. But anyway, um, refuse fascism, Robert Avakian, um, the, who began refuse fascism, I mean, he was, he was the head of the SDS Black Panthers back in the day, or one, one of the, 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 uh, uh Head of the uh, uh, that group, the primary sponsor of these groups is the Alliance for Global Justice. And you look at the people behind this. Don't underestimate what they are attempting to do. The, the act, agitate, and organize. That's their their motto or one of their mottos. And they're 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 working it because of, because they are decentralized for the most part, and they're using social media. That makes them extremely dangerous. Now. Is because you've got no place, no one place to, to raid or invade or to infiltrate. We do have at, at HomelandSecurityUS.com a, a, a couple of, what, several, the seven, six to be precise, seven is about seven, several investigators, just leave it at that, uh, who are infiltrating these groups. And I'm going to tell you right now that the start of the, this violence is, is going to be taking place 
sooner than November 4th, but that November 4th is going to be that day when they're all going to give, it's going to be like a test run of, of their system. And then that's going to kick off the movement from that point forward. But again, you're looking at people who are taking their marching orders from people who have their experience from SDS, the Weathermen, and some of these other larger groups back in the 60s and 70s. And, uh, you're going to see, you're, you're going to see cities burn. And, and, and this is the other part of it, this as well, the internal chaos and, 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 uh, uh, violence. You're seeing people like Linda Sarsour and, and, uh, the, the female component, the, 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 uh, uh, feminist movement along with the Islamic movement enter into this unholy alliance with the, uh, leftist movement. And I, and I really don't want to even call them anti-fascism or anti-fascist or antifa. They're communists, plain and simple. That's exactly what they are. They're communists and they've got communist beliefs. And Hillary Clinton, in my personal view, is a communist. And you had on the, on the left, what, what does this say? On the left, you've got Hillary Clinton, who I believe is a communist based on her principles and, 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 um, beliefs, or, or Bernie Sanders, who's a socialist. The only difference is one ar- one's armed, one's not, essentially. Communist and socialist, basically. But, but what I'm saying is, is, um, and I say that somewhat, not quite in jest, but, but you know what I'm talking about. Uh, socialism is just a mere stopping point for communism. Socialism is communi- or communism light, I suppose. But when you look at all of this, and you start, you start identifying the groups, and we've got members of Congress who are actually giving these groups quarter or giving them, um, giving them, uh, uh, status within the Congress themselves. You talk about Keith Ellison. You talk about, uh, um, other, the Black Caucus, members of the Black Caucus specifically. Congressional Black Caucus are providing them a certain status and quarter that we've, we've not seen before. So, and you've got Indivisible started by Ezra Levin and, uh, you've got, uh, Leah Greenberg and Angela Padilla. Now, Angela Padilla is involved in the National Immigration Law Center. Immigration's got everything to do with this. You got the progressive media morons, um, Rachel Maddow reporting to, uh, you know, people like that who are, who are giving, again, these people a, a pass. You've got moveon.org, which was founded back in 1998. Seven, they claim to have seven million members. Uh, but all of this we've seen take a new, I don't know, have a, have a new resurgence, of course, because of, or consequential to the, um, uh, the, the taking power of Donald Trump or Donald Trump taking power. So. Under moveon.org or along with them, you've got other groups. I just want to mention this. Uh, hashtag all of us on social networking. You've got Working Families Party, which is a quasi-Marxist movement founded in 1998. You've also got People's Action Committee founded in 1972. Uh, National People's Action. It's an umbrella group, uh, 35 individuals there that are at the epicenter of that. And then, of course, the Center for Popular Democracy, which is a, a collective, uh, a collective of, uh, ACORN. And that, uh, kind of branched out of ACORN in 2012, founded by the, uh, um, Bauman Foundation and Ford Foundation and Democracy Alliance, or funded, I shouldn't say funded, funded by the, the 
uh, Bauman Foundation, Ford Foundation, and Democracy Alliance. So you've got all of these groups who are actually providing the funding, which pays for the the training and pays for the weapon, shall we say, weapons that they've got. Uh, so that's where the weapons is coming from. And I think, too, I, I think it would be, uh, Joe, t- tell me tell me that you really can't understate the possible the possibilities from this. I don't. I don't think you can understate the dangers from this. And I think it's. I think it would be a, a very big mistake to say, bring it on, and these snowflakes can be defeated. Um, yeah. Although I I understand, but I. You just have to use caution because we're not fighting the snow the snowflakes that are that are throwing rocks and running. You're going to be fighting the, uh, the people that you you don't that are not that haven't shown up yet. I guess is what I'm saying. And on their site, um, you know, they make a number of. Uh, claims one, they say that uh, they are they have respect for all human life, <laughs> and that they they are going to be um, doing so doing these protests differently than the way that they conducted them in the past, and they they say that uh, what they plan on doing. They give an example is <clears throat> what happened in uh, a protest in South Korea. In March of 2017, where, or Occupy Wall Street, where it started out by hundreds of protesters, then you had, you know, it grow to a thousand, then hundreds of thousands, then in the millions. They say our actions will reflect the values of respect for all of humanity and the world we want, in stark contrast to the hate and bigotry of the Trump-Pence fascist regime. Our determination to persist and not back down will compel the whole world to take note. Every force and faction in the power structure will be forced to respond to our demands. The cracks and divisions among the powers already evident today will sharpen and widen as we draw more and more people forward to stand up. All of this could lead to a situation where this illegitimate regime is removed from power. And that's that's their intent, by the way. This is the this is the indivisible uh, manual right here. Okay, this is posted online. You can read it. Indivisible. Uh, dot com, I believe it is, but uh, it was updated February 26, 2017, and then uh, it's in PDF format. But you're right. We will be right back. We are up against this network break. We got more news on the other side. We're going to get into a number of things from the California wildfires as the death toll has risen to 40 to a little bit on the Las Vegas um, continued Las Vegas shooting. Also, James Comey, FBI confirms that Comey drafted statement on Clinton probe months before the investigation ended, proving what we already knew, that James Comey has been protecting Hillary Clinton. They also said that the FBI is refusing to give up the Clinton Lynch tarmac documents until they are fully redacted. Six weeks. And much more after we come back. Visit HagmanReport.com for the news and articles that matter most. Stay tuned. We will be right back. In a thrilling series of novels, T.C. Joseph takes us into the lives of three families who struggle to maintain normal lives in a world where conspiracy theory and Bible prophecy collide. T.C. Joseph's viewpoint of alternative history and understanding of prophetic events will change your view of the world and the events on our horizon. 
Kirkus Review states, Readers of End Times Fiction will be hard-pressed to find it done more intriguingly than this. Extremely readable and fast-paced, Blue Wink Reviews boldly states, Fans of Tim LaHaye's Left Behind series and Tom Parada's The Leftovers will find this thought-provoking series absolutely riveting. Order your copies of T.C. Joseph's This Generation series from Amazon.com. Book 1, Precipice. Book 2, Pentecost. And Book 3, Penance. In these uncertain times, it makes sense to have a sustainable backup method to cook food and boil water. If your current plan includes using a fuel-burning stove or cooking over an open fire, then there's a much better way. The Miniman Rocket Stove is a biomass-burning cooking stove that only requires small quantities of sticks and twigs for fuel. The Miniman Stove is easy to use, smokeless, portable, powerful, and sustainable. For the finest in survival cooking stoves and fire starters made right here in the USA, go to MinutemanStove.com. That's MinutemanStove.com. You may never look at your city, town, or its people the same way ever again. Stained by Blood, a murder investigation based upon a true story by private investigator Douglas J. Hagman. Using the character Mark Stiles, Hagman takes you on a journey behind the scenes where the homicide becomes a secondary to an underworld of satanic ritual abuse, child abduction, and even mind-controlled experimentation. A world dismissed as conspiracy by those who want to keep its secrets hidden. Exposing the dangers, denials, and deceptions. For five years, a brutal killer remained on the loose, free to kill again. As Mark struggles to navigate the maze of bizarre twists and untangle a web of deeply hidden secrets kept by some of the most powerful and influential people in this community and beyond. Stained by Blood. Order your copy of this engaging novel today at HagmanandHagman.com and click on the link. Stained by Blood. This edition of the Hagman and Hagman Report. It is Monday, October 16th, 2017. The reason I want to give you that date is we are entering, I really believe this. If you look at the news and the headlines, um, by the way, Hillary Clinton hurt her paw. Um, she injured her paw. Am I allowed to say that? Absolutely. Or hoof. <laughs> Tech Eric said hoof. Uh, yeah, that's right. Uh, boy. She was running down the, the stairs with a oh, cup man. of coffee. Yeah. And uh, something else. And, and apparently in, she in heels, her. In heels. She hurt her foot. Can, can heels fit over hooves? <laughs> I mean, I don't know. I'm sure they custom ones with the money oh, she has from gosh. the Clinton Foundation. There comes the emails. Haiti Earthquake Relief Fund caper. I'm sure she could. Uh, it was at Southern Poverty. It was on my butt. Right wing watch, Southern Poverty Law Center. Yep. All right, we got them all, but that's okay. So yeah, yeah, I said hoof, huff, huff, hooves, hoofs, plural of huff. But anyway, um, I just want to make make sure everyone knows. Hey, Nine to ten in the morning, the Doug Hagman Radio Show. Boy, what a great guy that guy that Hagman is. Uh, what a great show that is. Let me tell you, known well. Uh, I know I'm serious. Uh, let me be serious for a moment. Nine to ten a.m. Eastern Time, Monday through Friday, the Doug Hagman Radio Show. If you if you haven't listened to that, try it out. 
take a listen to that. And then two to three, you've got Joe and John doing their thing, talking about. Actually, today's show was it's just a slammer of a show, talking about the Vegas shooting. Uh, I want to go back and listen to that um, again. All right, and then uh, about tune in. So nine to ten on uh, on Blog Talk Radio, BTR Channel Three, and then Global Star Radio Channel Three, right? Oh, I'm so, sorry, yeah, Global Star Channel. But, but Blog Talk Radio. And I would really like, let me ask, let me ask a favor of you. Uh, subscribe to both shows. Or at least mine. No, subscribe to them via BTR. <laughs> uh, again, that, 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 that ups our presence and ups our visibility. And of course, Channel 3 on Global Star Radio Network, we thank them for carrying our shows as well. And of course, our flagship show, 7 to 10 p.m. Eastern Time right here. At the top of this, this coming hour, uh, Daniel Horowitz will be joining us. And then at the top of the final hour, we're going to be hearing from Stuart Rhodes, Oath Keepers, who's down in Puerto Rico, and a very special, uh, treat, Coach Dave Dobbenmeyer, Pass Salt, CoachDaveLive.com, a tremendous, just a tremendous man, uh, incredible man. Now, before we get back to the program, you remember me saying ZipRecruiter.com. Let me ask you, do you own a, a business, a small, medium, large business? Are you in charge of hiring? Are you hiring? Do you know where to post your job to find the best candidates? You know, the, the, perhaps the one biggest problem business owners or managers have is hiring the right candidates. We went through a process where we needed uh, to, to hire someone, and let me tell you who came through. I could, I could I could give you a list of who didn't, but I'll tell you who did. That's ZipRecruiter.com. With ZipRecruiter, you can post your job to 100-plus job sites with just one click. Then the powerful technology efficiently matches the right people to your job better than anyone else. That's why ZipRecruiter is different, unlike other job sites. ZipRecruiter does not depend on candidates finding you. It finds them. In fact, 80% of employers who post a job on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate through the site one day. One day. Yeah, that's amazing. No juggling of emails or calls to your office. You simply screen, rate, and manage candidates all in one place with ZipRecruiter's easy-to-use dashboard. Here's what you do. Find out today why ZipRecruiter has been used by businesses of all sizes to find the most qualified job candidate with immediate results. Right now, listeners, if you're listening to this show, you go to ZipRecruiter.com. You can try it for free. So that's right, free. You can't lose. Just go to ZipRecruiter.com slash Hagman. That's ZipRecruiter.com slash Hagman. One more time to try for free. That's ZipRecruiter.com slash Hagman. It's amazing. It's a, it's a fantastic, uh, resource for business owners and people who hire their own, uh, hire within. Now, one thing before we can move on, I want to mention Daphne, uh, Galazia, I believe is how you pronounce your last name. Yep. The, uh, one woman in WikiLeaks was killed. The, 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 the Panama woman, Papers. That's right. Yeah. The woman who released the Panama Papers killed in a car, car bomb today. Yep. Car bomb kills journalists behind Panama Papers offshore tax evasion investigation days after she received threats to her safety. And, uh, it's unclear. Uh, the details are unclear, except we know that she was in the car and the car was blown up. She's been dubbed the one-woman WikiLeaks, and this happened in Malta, the country of Malta. And interestingly enough, the president of Malta was one of the people who were under investigation by her, and she ran a hugely popular blog relentlessly highlighting cases of alleged corruption, often involving politicians from the Mediterranean island nation. 
one of those people was the the president of uh, Malta, and he came out and said the the Maltese Prime Minister Joseph Musket, who faced accusations of wrongdoing by Gazilia, uh, denounced Galizia just to make sure. So we yeah Galizia uh, denounced her killing, saying it was a barbaric attack. This is a spiteful attack on a citizen and freedom of expression. I will not rest until justice is done. The country deserves justice. But she was very popular. She had led the coverage of the Panama Papers. And somehow today her car, not only was it blown up while she was driving in it, uh, in what appears to be a car bomb, it was blown completely off the road by about a 100 feet, I'd say. If you take a look at that, that that image, it's just astounding. Yeah, that was a big um, bomb. Yeah, it, it was not. It was not somebody that. I mean, that these people knew what they were doing, yeah. and, and uh, they left nothing. It's, it's amazing. Now, the one one other piece of news before I, I do want to talk about Vegas, but I would urge people to get the, the to, to get the information about Vegas uh, from your show today between two and three. I think the questions raised during that show were probably the most pressing questions. And the source I've got in Las Vegas has been virtually cut off from any kind of access to any investigative documents. Uh, so, and if you, again, tips at homelandsecurityus.com, tips at homelandsecurityus.com. If you are a law enforcement officer, and I can verify that you're a law enforcement officer, you'll allow me to do that or send your bona fides to me. If you want to speak off the record, at least if I know who you are, uh, we can have a conversation about Las Vegas. If you are in Las Vegas or a part of that investigation, just go to, uh, just to give it, send an email to tips at homelandsecurityus.com. That's tips at homelandsecurityus.com. Again, the criteria for that, if you are a law enforcement officer commissioned in Las Vegas with the uh, LVMPD or Clark County, if you're with the Sheriff's Department, you want to talk off the record, I will keep your name private, but I've got to verify that you are a law enforcement official and not somebody just posing as one to me. I will keep your name private. So there you have it, uh, tips at HomelandSecurityUS.com. And, folks, HomelandSecurityUS.com is a private website. It has nothing to do with Homeland Department of Homeland Security. Somebody had, uh, I mean, what, can't people read? All right, don't people read anymore? I'm just so frustrated. I get that question all of the time. Is it the Homeland Security Department of Homeland Security? No, it's not. So stop it. All right. <laughs> really? I mean, stop it. Anyway, yeah. She, she heard her hoof. hoof. Yeah. Anyway, uh, NRA spokesperson, NRA spokeswoman, uh, National Rifle Association spokesperson Dana Loesch announced that uh, her family had been forced to move suddenly after she received multiple death threats from gun control advocates. Peaceful, right? What do you say about this? Look, look at where we are, the chaos. And by the way, Joe, I watched uh, um, John Haller's prophecy update yesterday. Okay. Did you see? Did, uh-uh. You haven't seen it. It was an hour and twenty minutes, and um, I spoke about it on my show today. The he's the word unprecedented, and in the news, that word unprecedented is being used to describe events today. So you, you think you think there's something going on here biblically? You think, you see, people who don't look through the current events through the lens of biblical prophecy, in my view, are not getting the complete picture. 
And that's what we're seeing today. We're seeing, to me, we're seeing a lot of things happen. The wildfires, you pointed those out. Uh, the hurricane going toward Ireland. Really? Yeah, Hurricane uh, Ophelia. Uh, okay. Has that happened before? I don't know. Maybe it has. I, but, but it's going to be kind of weird, isn't it? Uh, but, but you, you take the wildfires, you take the, and John Haller, who I've had personal conversations with, you've had personal conversations with mm-hmm. John Haller. Just a tremendous guy. He's a, he's an attorney by profession. And he's also a, uh, uh, do I, I don't want to say pastor, but a minister. But, um, but an attorney by profession. And he asked the question, you know, or he states, look, everything that we see happening today has been foretold. And I think that we have to look at it through the lens of biblical prophecy of everything that we're seeing today. And he talked about everything from Israel to the fires to, uh, to the to the floods to to everything we're seeing worldwide, even to the, the shooting and, and even to the disruption of the uh, of the social norms as being foretold in the Bible, and I think he's absolutely one hundred percent correct. So, yeah. um, if you get a chance, check out uh, it's Fellowship Bible Chapel, I believe it is. John Haller is is his name. If you haven't, if you have, and he's been on our show before, I think. Uh, if not, we'll get him on our show. But he's he's really he really put it in perspective with respect to the um, things that we've seen over the past, or seeing now, I should say, through the lens of biblical prophecy. So, well, with the California wildfires, the death toll is up to forty-one. There are eighty-eight people still missing. It's burned over fifty-seven hundred homes and well over two hundred fifty thousand acres. Uh, the the fires are in different parts of the state. Some are fifteen percent. Uh, Contain some 40%, some 80%. There's still a risk of high winds that are adding to the destruction of these wildfires. And they will go down as the worst wildfires in California history. So we're going to continue to watch that, keep our eye on that, and report on that. And we uh, ask that people continue to pray for those in the uh, line of the fire. I watched a story on the news. One second. You know that Spain and Portugal, there were 145 separate fires started by arsonists. Yeah. Right. So think, you know, you don't think that could happen in the United States? I think it can't. Go on. Well, they ask, uh, I heard Savage ask that question. Never before in California have they seen so many fires start in different areas simultaneously that ended up doing so much damage. The question needs to be asked, was it arson? And is there more to the story than what we're being told? And with the amount of damage that we see in the amount of homes that are have been burned, uh, it's a very real possibility. If we can, I want to take the rest of the segment and get into Las Vegas because I think there's a lot of questions that need to be answered, specifically surrounding the security guard, uh, Jesus or Jesus Campos, however you Do want to say it. Do not call him Jesus. It's Jesus. But, uh, you know, this guy is apparently... So, somebody... I mean, you, you, we got big problems with the security guard in the narrative that we're given by police because the narrative has changed three times now, specifically around the security guard's actions, and there are a number of questions as to uh, what was really happening and when did it happen in the 32nd floor of Mandalay Bay. It first came out that the security guard was responding to a door alarm. He interrupted Paddock during his shooting and for, led him to kill himself, stop the attack and kill himself. Then a week later, the sheriff came out and stated that he was, uh, he, the security guard, was shot at six minutes at 9.59, six minutes before Paddock started his attack on the concert. Then MGM came out and issued a statement saying that the police timeline was inaccurate and that within, 
The security guard was shot, and then within 40 seconds, Paddock started his attack on the crowd. Now, we have not heard anything from Jesus Campos as far as his account. He has not spoken publicly since this happened, which raises a lot of red flags. And you would think the he was scheduled to do a number of media appearances on Friday, and he disappeared, these are their words, right before he was scheduled to go on air. And Laura Loomer, the uh, investigative journalist, went to the house of the family where she was met by armed security guards and also a family member saying we're not allowed to talk about this and his whereabouts are unknown or unreported. Now, this is the the biggest mass shooting in in modern U.S. history. This is the one person who can shed some light onto exactly what happened on that 32nd floor as the events unfolded. Why is not a journalist from every media outlet hounding this guy, looking for him? If anybody got the exclusive with this guy and put the video up on YouTube, it would receive 10 million views overnight and be the most viral video possibly in YouTube history. But not one mainstream media or media personality, aside from Laura Loomer, has done anything to try to find this guy or to interview him to tell his story after he had disappeared. Nobody is looking into his you know, his records. There's so many unanswered questions with Las Vegas. The whole story stinks. There's something much bigger going on. It could be from anything that a bigger terror attack was planned and was foiled to some other kind of operation was ongoing that went bad. But And many are asking the question, is this... Uh, uh, Jesus Campos, even a security guard in Las Vegas. His records have been, his employment records from the MGM have been scrubbed. The uh, license, the security guard license that he would need to work at a casino is absent. And he happened to be uh, on that same floor as the shooting started, uh, being shot at 200 times, according to law enforcement, only getting grazed in the leg. And then you have all that missing time. He's either the luckiest guy in the world. I, you know, or or there's something not right about this. Obviously, I want to I'll give take, him the, I'll take the latter, the benefit of the doubt. But you mentioned this right after this event happened that you think that there's something wrong with this security guard. And the more that uh, you know, people are looking for the final pieces of information, whether it's the motive of what drove this panic to to carry out this attack to the security guard, the answers are becoming more and more evasive, and the police are not forthcoming in anything. We still haven't got an accurate count of how many shots were fired how many shell casings were in the room, how many people who were shot, uh, how many people were wounded with gunshots versus other injuries running from the gunshots. The investigation is completely, uh, has been botched. And the contradictions from law enforcement, uh, and Laura Loomer, for example, the police said that, that Paddock checked in on the 28th, September 28th. Well, a receipt from the Mandalay Bay was leaked to Laura Loomer showing he was checked in on the 25th. The, the, those two timeline changes from the time that he was actually at the hotel and the, what was ordered on that room service receipt indicates there was more than one person there to the change in the timeline of the security guard and no real clarification has been issued since then. We have the issue of Every inch of that hotel and casino is under CCTV cameras, but we're supposed to believe that there are no cameras on the 32nd floor and that if there were cameras, none of them worked. Because this 
you know, what happened with the security guard? Did he intervene on the shooter as he was already carrying out the attack, or was he the first to be shot at? Could be answered in the first few minutes of the investigation by reviewing the security camera footage of the, the 32nd floor, and you could tell exactly what happened, but that information has not come out at all, and no CCTV, CCTV footage from the hotel of Paddock or anybody else associated with this crime has been shown to the public. I mean, I could go on and on about all the inconsistencies, all the the questions that are up in the air, but you guys get the point. Even the mainstream media in some regards, and many people who were never, you know, conspiracy theorists, are starting to ask questions and wonder why they're being lied to. We know that the federal, uh, the Washington, D.C., uh, or the California FBI, came in, relieved the head of the FBI in Las Vegas of his duties, and took over the investigation from the police department. Since then, you have had uh, people claiming that the sheriff is under, you know, uh, some kind of pressure to continue to lie, that he well, looks at the, look the FBI guy. Oh, yeah, the FBI guy just stares at him the whole time. There's also an audio clip when uh, the sheriff in one of the earlier press conferences was asked about the two cars that he gave license plates for, asking for help from the public in, in locating these cars. He was asked about the car in a press conference, and you can hear the FBI guy behind the sheriff say, don't cover that. He whispered, don't cover that. Uh, and that's obvious. You can find the videos that show that. So there's so much, um, so many unanswered questions, so much missing evidence. I'm, I'm so sick and tired of being told what's on this, uh, you know, on the note that was found in his room. If it's just trajectories, show the note. Um, what was, what did he have? What did Paddock have all these cameras rigged up in the hotel room for? Where's the footage of that? Where's the audio from this? We are being lied to, and everything considered to see, you know, how big of a of a deal this is. The media are not even asking the basic questions, which tells me everything I need to know. That there's much more going on here. They were told not to ask these questions. They, you know, and they've moved on. And at this point, I'm not even sure. I'll even go this far. Um, we know we know what happened. What they say happened didn't happen the way they say it happened. But I'm not even sure Paddock fired a shot. Yeah, we don't know that. At this point, I wonder if what's the proof? The security guard had gun residue test done on his hands. I wonder if the paddock had gun residue test done on his hands. Of course. I mean, yeah. Um, you know, that would be a good start. And any evidence or, or video that comes out now is, uh, has to be viewed with some skepticism right. because we know that they can fake just about anything. Even some of the pictures they put out of, of paddock, um, the first picture with his eyes closed where he has the drink in his hand, my buddy called me today and told me it's interesting to note on that picture he has an orange ribbon on his arm and that Mary Lou Danley has an orange ribbon on hers. Well, if you look at the Route 91 Festival ribbons, it's the same exact ribbon. And that picture is supposedly from years earlier. Um, and it, there's also allegations that the security guard, some of the pictures of him receiving that award, as well as that picture of Paddock that was released with his eyes closed, are, have elements of photoshopping in it. Now, I can't verify that to be true, but it's something I'm going to continue to look at. I spent a lot of time on Sunday watching as many of the videos as I had saved at .25 speed to see what I could hear and see. And there are some interesting things that people have pointed out that, again, leave a lot more questions than answers. Right, and the I fact saved, that we have way. no conclusion to this and the media has just given up on it 
is so frustrating to Absolutely. me. And I think the American people are never going to let this go until they have answers. Uh, I just want to tell you, I saved the, uh, all of the, uh, the, uh, uh, streaming, the EMS channel streaming from, um, that night. The actual streaming from Las Vegas, mm-hmm. the EMS channel. So I've got that on, on a I hard got, drive. I got that too, the police scanner audio. Right. And it's going back and listening. You can, you can, there were numerous calls to other hotels before shots fired and some you could probably dismiss in the chaos of the moment. Although I would not dismiss all of them. And, and I think that there's, there's so much more to this. But my question to you and to the audience, for what's the motive here? What's the motive? That's a great question. Obviously we see the media instantly went to the gun control agenda. Um, but obviously that wasn't the motive because they gave up on it rather quickly after many of the survivors and people who were there uh, said that's the absolutely last thing that should happen is gun control. And when you can't get the survivors and the victims on board to, you know, promote that narrative, they had to let it go. But what is, I mean, I guess we'll never, unless we were given and shown all the actual information. But I mean, for this guy, Paddock, if he is a patsy, uh, that's horrible. But say he was actually involved in it and part of it. He had, you know, was he a registered Democrat or Republican? To say he had, you know, basically he was apolitical, had no political opinions whatsoever, had no religious opinions whatsoever, is is BS in my opinion. Whether he was a Christian or a, a, a Muslim, I mean, stuff like that is very easy to to find out. They've been interviewing his family. They've been interviewing his friends. Even his former real estate partner has come out and said that the guy uh, was very compassionate, completely opposite from what we heard the neighbors say about him. And I'm going to continue to to dig into this, and I know a lot of people, um, independent and citizen journalists, are not going to give up in digging for information. One of the interesting pieces of info that we heard on our route back uh, this weekend on Rick Wiles' show on his first broadcast back on Friday was that Many of the the uh, people who lost electronic devices at the venue, who went back to pick them up, we, there's hundreds of reports of all their pictures and videos and messages being completely scrubbed from their phones, which is very strange. Uh, I've seen Infowars do stories on it, and a number of other, uh, I guess you call them alternative news sites, do stories where. Uh, survivors had said they went to pick up their iPads and their phones to find that all the videos were gone, all the text messages were gone. Not even just the ones relating to that event, but just in general. So, you know, why would, why would we, why would that happen? Why would videos be, continue to be taken off YouTube and Twitter, um, that are just, you know, eyewitness accounts of the event? Um, there is still so many questions, and it is more than frustrating to not be able to get to the bottom of this stuff. And if I had to just give an assessment and a guess right now on what I think happened, it's obviously, to me, some kind of government operation possibly gone wrong, possibly not gone far enough. It could, it could very well be. Uh, it, it's got proprietary operation written all over it, from the guns to, to the legend of Paddock. When I say legend, I'm talking about the background. And the the influence or the um, association with Danley, the family's reaction, it's got it's got it does have proprietary operation written all over it. One thing that about the Mary Lou Danley, the hotel um, 
from the timeline change when they said he checked in on the 28th and they had to revise that and say he was there on the 25th due to a, a, a room service receipt <clears throat> with his name on it from the 27th showing the food that he ordered and the number of guests was that after the 27th he checked out in under his own name and somehow checked in under Mary Lou Danley's name on the 28th. That's why they say, the police say there was a discrepancy on how long he was actually at that hotel. But she was supposed to be out of the country at that time. I want to know how he was able to check in under her name without her being present, seeing as they don't have last the same last names. That's a good question. But regardless, you don't make... You don't make mistakes like that. As a law enforcement officer, agent, you don't make mistakes to the press, to the people in a, in a press setting. In the biggest mass shooting in American history, okay, um, you don't make mistakes like that, at least not, not whoops, you know, or a series of mistakes. To me, there's uh, it's a calculated uh, diversion. Coming mm-hmm. back with uh, Daniel Horowitz right after this. Stay with us. Greenovative. Go to HagmanReport.com. Click on the link to Greenovative. What Greenovative is, it's a small company in Florida. They created something called the GMAG Power Cell. It produces electricity by adding salt water to this unit that recharges rechargeable batteries. It's the coolest thing you'll ever see in your life. It's really neat. Really a, a super device. All right, You need just two teaspoons of ordinary table salt, a little water, but a bang, you're charging your rechargeable batteries. Super GMAG chargeable is affordable. It's lightweight, weighs about 8 ounces. It's durable. It's EMP proof. And it's environmentally friendly. Yeah, that it is. It'll provide safe and convenient power for recharging uh, 6 AA batteries off the grid. When other power sources aren't available anywhere, anytime, in any weather, day or night, go to greenovative.com. That's greenovative.com. Folks, in these uncertain times, it just makes sense to have a sustainable backup method for accomplishing one of life's most important tasks, and that's preparing food. This is the way to go. There is nothing better than a Minuteman rocket stove from MinutemanStove.com. We all need a way to cook and a method to process water. I mean, think about it. Think about the many things that could happen to you. Minuteman rocket stove can provide your family or group the perfect solution. It's small, lightweight, wood-burning, and every bit as powerful as a kitchen stove. It's smoke fully self-contained for clean storage and transport because it's so efficient it cuts down on your wood gathering and processing chores to a tenth what would be required if cooking the old-fashioned way over an open fire so don't rely on gas or fuel stoves prepare your family prepare for yourself order a Minuteman rocket stove today it's going to make bad times much better folks MinutemanStove.com MinutemanStove.com need I say more? You should have a Minuteman, the survival stove in an M.O.K. 
For investors, timberland has become the symbol of safety. Global tropical timber demand continues to surge as the world's population increases. The need for managed, sustainable timber production forests has never been greater. When stock markets crash, trees keep growing. Direct ownership of fully managed tropical timberland acreage is now available to accredited investors. Prime, valuable hardwood groves close to the beautiful Costa Rican border generate and maintain superior long-term wealth. Consider visiting our forest plantations. Qualified accredited investors should go to PreciousTimberProfits.com or dial 855-888-6288 for more information. Call 855-888-6288 or visit PreciousTimberProfits.com. This announcement does not constitute either an offer to sell securities or a solicitation of an offer to purchase. Offering made by prospectus only. 855-888-6288, PreciousTimberProfits.com. Precious Timber Profits. edition of Hagman Report on Monday, October 16th, 2017. Daniel Horowitz is going to be joining us in just a few moments. ConservativeReview.com is his website. He's a um, a great author who's going to talk about what's going on inside the Beltway, uh, the Trump administration, and uh, from what John said, talking to him earlier, he's got a whole bunch of grievances he wants to air uh, and a number of things he wants to talk about, so we're going to get into that. Hillary Clinton has been in the news, as uh, my dad said earlier. She injured herself, apparently, according to reports. She was running down the stairs with a pair of uh, high heels on and a coffee in her hand and and hurt herself and has canceled her uh, media appearances as well as her uh, the upcoming TV interviews and her book signings. And all this on the heels of possible Julian Assange putting out the content of the 650,000 emails that were on the Anthony Weiner and Huma Abedin computer. And I don't know that that's come out yet, but there has been a number of announcements by Assange himself that it is going to come out, and it's going to continue to shed light on the State Department's pay-to-play scandals, uh, as well as another a, a bunch of other controversies that Hillary Clinton has been accused of over the years. And we have, again, the FBI is refusing to give up the Clinton-Lynch uh, tarmac meeting documents until they are fully redacted, and you said that it should be about six weeks. And yeah, Tom Fitton from Judicial Watch said that they, they prevailed in their case to get the 30 pages of documentation, but the, they're asking for six weeks, and that's just absolutely untenable, especially under when you consider that we're, we're operating under the Sessions Department of Justice. Yeah. It's just, to me, it's just untenable. So we... We do have it's it's our it's our distinct honor to to bring back with us, Mr. Daniel Horowitz, and I'm just so excited. His book, uh, Stolen Sovereignty, is a required read. I believe uh, that's available at the WND Superstore. Just use promo code Hagman, and of course his website is conservativereview.com. There it is. On in fact, if you're watching this on YouTube, there's his book, Stolen Sovereignty. Uh, it's got uh, a forward by Mark Levin. It's it's a, it's a fantastic book. Daniel Horowitz, welcome to the program, sir. Great to be with you. And stolen sovereignty, indeed, it continues every day. Man, you know what? We just want to let you loose because you, <laughs> I can't wait to hear hear what you. Joe and I were talking before the show. Um, 
it just you you must have a, just a, a whole slew of things that you want to get into. We don't want to stand in your way. It's just fire when ready. Well, no, it definitely does build up. And um, I, you know, I was joking around with my wife. I said, "This is one of those days where I just hate everyone. <laughs> I'm just in a bad mood today. So it's good to just kind of relax, you know, late at night with with you guys here. Um, you know, what's so frustrating is that." We're getting the lowest common denominator of everything. So Trump's got his set of problems, but then when he's kind of good on some things, well, then his cabinet stinks, and then Congress stinks. And then, you know, when they're not a factor, it's the courts. The courts. Everything that you want him to do that's good, that's lawful, that's constitutional, it will be thrown out. You know, I want to dispel a certain myth that's a dangerous myth that's running rampant in conservative conservative circles now, there's this Wall Street Journal column from Kim, Kimberly Strassel basically said that Trump's remaking the judiciary. There's Scalia's up and down the, the bench now, and you know, we, we solved the problem. I, I wish that were true. And, and you know, this is no problem with Trump. I mean, he is appointing good people. The judiciary is broken. Now, let me use a, a case study nobody's talking about, but, but an example that's going on in the courts right now to demonstrate why we will never win back the courts like they're currently constructed. In other words, we need to reform the way we view the role of the judiciary in totality because once we view them as a super legislature, super executive, we're never going to win the left's game. A Chicago federal judge, you might have seen my article, came out earlier today, Chicago federal judge over the weekend took his ruling from last month saying that sanctuary cities um, cannot be punished. The federal government cannot cut off federal law enforcement grants to those that thwart federal immigration law. Evidently, there's now an entitlement to federal funding. You know, that's a new uh, constitutional right there. And what they did over the weekend is this this judge, who, by the way, was a Reagan appointee, so this runs rampant among Republican appointees as well, he applied it nationwide. So not just to the city of Chicago, but applied the injunction against the Attorney General's um, you know, uh, effort to cut off funding to sanctuary cities, applied it to every sanctuary city. So we now have sanctuary nation. Mr. Rose, how, how is that possible? How in the hell is that possible? That's not well, lawful. I think what you're asking is that we have a Congress, you know, they pass a law, and then the president could either sign it or veto it, and then once a, a president signs it, subsequent presidents have to abide by it. And then the judiciary interprets the application of the law. But even if you agree with this striking down business that somehow judiciary could do that, a district judge cannot, A, operate outside of his jurisdiction, and B, operate outside of the case or controversy that they're ruling on. In other words, what distinguishes the judicial power from executive or legislative power is that they don't get to strike down national policies. Now, put immigration aside. They have no jurisdiction over you know immigration. That the courts have said for 200 years, but they've thrown that out now. But even any other issue, if the president has a national policy, they can't say, I don't like this policy. Well, then Congress has to deal with that. What they can do is grant relief to a particular plaintiff. So why am I making a big deal out of this case? Because a lot of people think, well, Trump's appointing you know, new judges. We're, we're, we're in the clear. 
Here's the problem. Most of the people retiring, guess what? They're good judges. So, you know, it's kind of replacing a Scalia with a Scalia. Well, you didn't really, you know, move anything. Um, the Fifth Circuit, the Eighth Circuit, we already had those circuits. He's maybe making them a little better. The reality is the left already has more than well over half the districts and half the circuits, especially the all-too-critical D.C. Federal you know, Court of Appeals, um, which all the constitutional cases you know, get routed through there. So all the left has to do under this pathetic system is find one district in one circuit, which they'll have many, even if Trump has two terms. That's just how the, the math of the balance of power is if he goes circuit by circuit. We've done that at Conservative Review. So they put anything he does into the court, and they'll get a nationwide injunction. Done. One out of ten cases, maybe we'll be able to appeal all the way to the Supreme Court and win. But usually we don't. This is the problem. They're doing it right now with the transgenderism in the military. Watch for that injunction coming. This is what makes no sense about this forum shopping. How they could just pick any judge. Let me just demonstrate the absurdity of this nationwide injunction business from a district judge. I, I might be off one or two. There's about 91 federal court districts in the country. Let's say 90 judge, let's say they, uh, you know, bring a lawsuit against, uh, an immigration policy, social policy in 90 districts and the judge throws out. Now, no, no case here. But then it goes to one out of 91, and the guy says, I agree with you, and I'm issuing a nationwide injunction. The way our pathetic legal system erroneously treats it is that it's struck down. See, the 90 judges, they, they can't affirm, you know, pro proactively codify something, but that one judge could be master of the universe. So this is why, no matter how many good judges you appoint, the capacity of a good judge to do good is nowhere near the capacity of a bad judge to de to destroy this country because they're willing to lie, cheat, and steal for their causes. It's anyway, <laughs> I have to get that out. No one's talking about it. No, no. You know, there's so much going on in the news with the... Uh, we're still, you know, with, in this uh, weird Las Vegas uh, news story as this is never-ending and the details continue to change to the California wildfires... And on our show here, we've still been, still been covering some of the hurricane relief efforts and Trump and his administration and some of the more, um, you know, inside the beltway political areas have gotten overlooked these last few weeks with, with this flurry of other news going on. And it's hard to keep track of all this stuff unless, you know, you have a job that allows you to do that. Well, I, I've got a question for you, Mr. Horowitz. Um, is there any, could there be any relief sought and claimed at the, from the executive level against the, um, be, be, because in your article you write it's unconstitutional, right? The rule of law? Are you kidding me? The law is now unconstitutional. But but can can anything be done from the executive level, or is that doing what Obama did and setting a dangerous precedent? I, I mean, I'm looking for some sanity here, if there is any, in what you said. Well, so the best thing is for Congress to help out. And, and you know, here's the problem. Um, and this is what's so frustrating. The last couple weeks, Trump has actually been pretty good. And you could tell his instincts on a lot of these issues, Obamacare, Iran to a certain extent, and, and um, you know, obviously on immigration, they're good. But he doesn't 
understand the strategies and policies that lead up to it, and that's the problem. And then he, you know, made mistakes by appointing liberals, uh, you know, both to West Wing advisory positions and to cabinet positions, so you have no one helping out there, so there's no one with the foresight to say, wait a minute, the next budget bill is in December. We, one of the absolute drop-dead conditions of passing that budget will be a provision codifying, you know, the DOJ's order cutting off law enforcement grants to sanctuary cities. But it's never even asked for. They never even asked for it. Um, that's number one. Number two, more broadly about the judiciary in general, <laughs> I don't know what you do with this because there's a, an erroneous conception of the judiciary, meaning we could disagree over policies. I want this policy, you want that, that policy. But this is beyond that. This is what system of government did we adopt in 1789. And my contention is even the Supreme Court doesn't have that power. But certainly the lower courts, we need to educate people that are created by Congress. Congress could abolish them. They could strip their jurisdiction over issues. They could do anything they want. They don't do anything. Um, you know, they're not a co-equal branch, the lower courts. They certainly are not. And the reality is... No branch of government has a monopoly over the Constitution. Every branch has the power and, and downright responsibility. They swear an oath, not just judges, executive branch officials, legislators, state officials, to uphold the Constitution. So they have to use their powers to uphold the Constitution. I mean, this is what John Marshall said in Marbury versus Madison. Why is it that we have this concept of judicial review that a court could say, well, in this case, I'm not going to interpret the law. I'm going I'm to you know, invalidate the application of the law because I believe it's unconstitutional. Well, he swore an oath to uphold the Constitution. That stands above statute. But how much more so the executive branch and the legislative branch who have more robust powers, the power to enforce, the police power, the power to legislate, the power of the purse, they must only use that power in concert with the Constitution. So, I mean, the difference between Obama is he violated the Constitution. That, that, that's the difference. Um, you know, immigration is a federal power. A state can't say, I don't like that. I mean, let's say a state would say, I don't like this military engagement. So we are going to withhold our National Guard troops from going over there. I mean, could, could you do that? No. Interesting analogy. Yeah, well, we are strong federalists here and believe most things need to be done on a local level, but there are a few things that need to be done nationally, and immigration is sovereignty. And one of the points I make in my piece, you know, because I hear from some of these even, you know, pseudo-libertarians on the right, well, Daniel, I'm for state, state sovereignty, uh, you know, federalism. Yeah, when it comes to education, healthcare, internal matters, as um, Madison said, but when it comes to external matters, the sovereignty of the whole union, the, you know, I have quotes in my article from Roger Sherman, Joseph Story, James Madison, they yep. made it very clear why the federal government has that power, and it's because they didn't want liberal states in, in an effort to juice up their representation in Congress to have more liberal immigration policies that then affect and screw over the rest of the country, and I demonstrate how sanctuary cities have done that Number one, I don't write about it in this article, but number one, they have grabbed for themselves more seats. Um, California has five extra house seats because of people that pursuant to law have no right to be here. It's unbelievable. But number two, 
I, I note a case, um, this happened last year, but the guy just pled guilty, so I write about it. It was in the news. Uh, an illegal alien from Mexico, uh, was, you know, drinking while, uh, you know, while intoxicated and slammed into a police car. I guess he's pulled over the side of the road in Johnson County, Kansas, killed one of their fine policemen. Now, this guy wasn't from Kansas. He emanated from, I mean, originally from Mexico, but from Los Angeles County. Guess what? A couple years prior, he had a DUI, and he was convicted of it. But he was let go, and he wasn't given over to ICE. So you have no right to go and screw over everyone else with your sanctuary policies, because unlike, you know, education policy, when it comes to people, immigration, once you're here, you go everywhere. We're a federal union. And, and that is why the power was given to the feds. It is amazing. The courts screw over. The states don't exist. They can't make election laws now, can't require photo ID at the polls, have to have a certain amount of early voting, can't regulate the most gruesome um, procedures of abortion, uh, can't define marriage, can't define human sex. States can't do anything. But the one thing that is manifestly federal in nature, immigration, suddenly they say, oh, you can't tell the states what to do. I mean, this is how backwards and corrupt the courts are. You just described the centralization, and I would argue communism in terms of the centralizing the power, and, and that's obviously the, the goal of communism. And except in this case, now the power of the state, it's ironic. And, and of course, you referenced earlier, by the way, the case of Espinosa Flores, who uh, killed a, a, a Kansas police officer. So, uh, very interesting indeed. So, so we're seeing the, to me, what we're seeing are the components of communism that have infested our government. And correct me if I'm wrong or if you think I'm overstating this, uh, in all branches, including the, uh, the, uh, federal judiciary and the, and the, even some of the, uh, well, throughout the country, the, the communist infiltrating and then, of course, dictating the, the laws antithetical to the Constitution or making new laws where none exist or just going against the Constitution. This is absolutely incredible. What, what I'm, what. No, no, and that's why I keep talking about the courts as subject of my book because it keeps coming up. It's not just that they've infested the, they've infested everywhere. They've infested the military. They've infested certainly the, you know, more notoriously liberal social institutions in, in this country, media and foundations, academia. But the problem is the judiciary is the only branch that is accorded the status of sole and final arbiter of not just the Supreme Court, even lower courts of every, um, political and social issue. That's where it's most dangerous. They have us around the neck already. They already, they're winning this without firing a shot. They're destroying all immigration enforcement. They're saying states can't punish sanctuary cities. Federal government can't punish sanctuary cities. ICE detainers, they're saying, are, are, by the way, now other courts are saying ICE detainers are unconstitutional. So even the jurisdictions that want to cooperate, they're saying they can't. Um, they're invalidating deportation of even criminal aliens left and right. It's not just the whole travel ban issue. And, you know, Another thing I gotta get off my chest, and I know I'm gonna be hated for it, and it's unpopular. Neil Gorsuch in general has been, you know, good, uh, but he has a very glaring weak spot on immigration. That he believes that there are due process rights against deportation, um, that you're subjected to judicial review, and this is very disturbing. There were oral arguments, I wrote about this two weeks ago, the first uh, kind of week of 
the October session of uh of the of the Supreme Court, and he, you know, but based on the line of questioning in conjunction with pet, some things he's written in the past, he seems to believe that he could invalidate immigration statutes if he thinks they're too vague. Now, I understand that's a valid concern with statutes related to, you know, regulatory crimes for Americans. You know, it's a lack of due process if you don't know what you're, you know, being punished for or, you know, what to watch out for. But to say that illegal aliens... Well, I have to know exactly which crimes are a crime of violence. I don't want to get into with your audience, you know, the minutia of the case is very deep. But the the upshot of it is that he believes that there are due process rights for deportation. That is the linchpin of what is go of what the left is doing to us in the courts now. The courts have said, I write this, you know, in chapter four of my book for two hundred years that you have no right. Now, to be very clear, anyone has human rights that you can't beat them up. You can't. Um, lock them up indefinitely, you know, with without any cause. But what you absolutely can do is say goodbye, deport them, because that's not a punishment. That's a matter of you violate our sovereignty, you have no right to be here, just leave. Now, he, if you're going to say they have due process, that's going to gum up the works of every single deportation. So, I mean, look, this, this is even um, Neil Gorsuch, who in general has been very good. It, it, it's a problem. It, it, it's this jurisprudential velocity that the communists, as you say, and that's what they are, create in the judicial system, and even our guys, they, they buy into the premise of it. Every time. They, 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 they chip away. It starts with the Ninth Circuit. It's loony. It's nuts. The first one or two times the Supreme Court won't yet go there, but over time, the lower courts are constantly moving them over. Um, you know, I've written about many other cases also, Public prayer, public symbols, the Lehigh County, Pennsylvania state flag, county flag is being thrown out because it has a cross on it. I mean, this is non-stop. And nobody is paying attention to what the lower courts are doing, and they decide 99% of the cases. Yeah, the judicial activism that we, uh, unfortunately is so frequent in this day and age. And so many of the, you know, judges that were appointed by, by Bush and Obama, uh, continuing to make unconstitutional rulings in favor of their own political opinions. And it is an epidemic in this country. Uh, Daniel, the healthcare, uh, Trump, Trump said that he was considering, um, writing an executive order on healthcare. Do you think this is a good idea? because it would temporarily change some of the uh, provisions of Obamacare, even though it could be changed at a later date by another president? Uh, or do you think he should wait in, until at least after the midterm elections to see if there is a, a new batch of Congress people in there who would be willing to get something done? Sure. Um, I mean, look, it, it, it certainly doesn't hurt. Right now, if, if you're not going to get anything, um, it certainly doesn't hurt. Two things that are very critical... Um, there's about four things he did. Two things that are critical. One is he stops the illegal bailout. So straight up, there's, you know, there's the regular subsidies that first they, infl- you know, what does Obamacare do? It creates actuarially insolvent regulations that skyrocketed premiums, um, and created no competition and a monopoly for two or three insurers. Now we're all screwed. Oh, but then if you earn below a certain amount, here are subsidies. 
So those subsidies are written into statute. But then there are other subsidies that are called the cost-sharing subsidies. That's the bailout for insurers that defray the cost of the copayments and the deductibles below a certain income, of course. Anyone above that is screwed. Um, that was not written into statute. Obama made them up. So if nothing else, I applaud him for finally restoring the Constitution. You can't appropriate money at a, from the executive branch. You just can't do that. I mean, I don't care if you're a liberal, conservative. So putting the policy aside, that needs to be done. Now, as a matter of policy, that's very good because you know, a lot of people think, well, but the, won't premiums go up if you don't pay the ransom to the insurance company? No. Because the problem is people don't realize the subsidies, just like the regulations, also inflate the costs. Because the more you subsidize something, so you're sugarcoating their ability to raise the price and not elicit consumer backlash. There's no check on it. And then also connected, there's no other option for consumers. That's where the second thing comes in, that he's trying to open up some more options. Now, to be clear, you know, I mean, I'm not a party-line Trump guy. I'll criticize him if I believe he's doing something wrong. But everything he is doing is within his statutory authority, which is why I don't think it's that big of a deal. I think it's better than nothing um, because he can't do a big deal. It would be outside of statute. Um, the reality is, so l- let's talk about the short-term plans. All he's doing is restoring something that was in Obamacare before Obama himself got rid of it last year. The first three years of Obamacare, you had what's called short-term plans. So they only regulated long-term plans, meaning annual, you know, renewals. Um, but if you, if someone's willing to offer and you're willing to buy a short-term plan for less than 12 months, it's not subject to regulations. So hence, you don't have to pay $1,300 um, a month for you know, health insurance. You know, you could pay a few hundred dollars like most of us were paying before. Obama basically got rid of that. Trump is just restoring that. Now, I don't know the timeline, and they have to write the regulations. It might take some time. But that will offer us a mass exodus, especially for healthy people to to get out of that. And that's going to stick the screws to the insurance companies. All right, buddies, no bailout, and now there's a new market to compete in. So they're going to have a hard time raising the cost because there's a check now. You know, we talk about the branches of government, checks and balances, judiciary, executive branches, it's a similar thing. What Obamacare did is it created a monopoly for the insurance company and it obfuscated any market force, market check on their, you know, your uh, car company or car repair shop can't charge $500 for uh, oil change. You know, why not? Well, because the market won't sustain that. And, you know, people just don't do it. And also, you know, there's the guy down the street won't charge that. Here, there's nowhere to go. And it's all regulated and subsidized and distorted and bid up by the government. So, I mean, ultimately, we need to get the government out of health care. We need to get the insurance cartel monopoly that government gave to them. That wasn't the free market government gave them. We need to break that up. Um, by allowing individuals to do anything they want to purchase health, purchase, uh, health sharing, other health associations. Um, Trump does have association plans in there, but the problem is it's only small businesses that could pull together, which is really current law. It's not individuals can't do that. Um, 
to his credit, I mean, he can't really, he didn't do that because he can't really do that. That would be, you know, overriding the unconstitutional law, I would say, but it was passed. So, just in short, he is, yes, he is following constitution, and because he is, it's kind of small ball, but it could only have a positive effect. Um, Daniel, the, uh, you, you said a few things there that are real important. One is the getting government out of health care. It seems like since Obamacare was put into law, um, everybody has forgotten that there used to be health insurance before Obamacare. And we, uh, you identified the two problems. One, the government's involvement in uh, health care. And their involvement in health care is for a specific goal, as Peter Barry Chowka writes about, moving us toward a universal health care system, a single-payer system. And that's what Hillary Clinton wanted to do uh, when Bill Clinton was in office, and that's what Obama uh, wanted to do with this first step being Obamacare towards the single-payer. And we know how horrible that can be. And uh, anything to keep us away from that would be great. But also, as you all identified too, is this the the insurance companies and their ability to just completely rob the customer through insurance premiums and uh, you know all these different crazy rules that benefit them on top of with Obamacare, you know, uh, receiving tons of money back from the government. Uh, how involved should the government be in healthcare? Should they be uh, involved just to the point of regulating insurance companies from being able to to overcharge, or uh, what role should they play? Sure. Well, the, the, this is obviously a very deep discussion because this starts even earlier than insurance. We're not talking about healthcare now. We're talking about medical insurance. Mm-hmm. Medical insurance isn't healthcare, and that is the thesis. That alone, if people would understand that, they'd understand that government is the problem. I hate to bring in another issue, but I figure I'll kind of tease it. Maybe we'll get to it later, but it ties in. It's kind of like what we're doing in Iraq now in the Middle East. We arm the Iranian-backed militias and the Baghdadi government, which is backed by Iran. They they took their weapons and ran for the hills when ISIS came. The Kurds fought bravely and took back the land. Now the Iranian-backed militias use our weapons and fight the Kurds, and um, and now we have a problem. We created that. Everything in the Middle East, we create the problem, and then we have to have the solution to deal with the problem. We create and create new problems. Government created the problem with healthcare. Healthcare would work like any other thing, with the exception of certain end of life, you know, emergency things. But most of healthcare would work like any other market, particularly in this era of the internet when consumers came. You're seeing that with any other industry, um, where basically. Most bills you would pay out of pocket, and it would be affordable because everyone would be doing that, and you wouldn't have the third-party payer, the, the the government Medicare, Medicaid compliance costs, the paperwork, the insurance cartel costs. You'd pay for it like any other product. And then you would insure against catastrophic events, um, and that would work like car insurance, like homeowner's insurance, that you shop around like anything else, even for the more expensive things, a hip replacement, a major surgery, something like that. And again, you would pay it, and they would directly pay the cost. Right now, insurance controls health care. They don't just, they're not the backstop. They price fix the price of, there is no price transparency. That's the problem. That's why we, the first discussion before we talk about why premiums are so high, 
Let's talk about even before Obamacare, why healthcare was screwed up. Why is health care so much money? And that is because government gave insurance a monopoly over health care. They boxed out all alternatives, direct primary care, health sharing ministries. Um, and a lot of people forget they have about five aces in the hole. One is you have to purchase their product or you get fined. I mean, that, that, that's the best thing. They right. have you around the neck. Now, they're regulated to death, but that ensured that no um, in- new innovators could get into the market. Remember, most innovators, Southwest Airlines, Amazon, Uber, they weren't long-standing competition. They were new entries to the market um, at, at their respective times. So you can't have that because they don't have the economies of scale to deal with the regs. So therefore, guess what? You know, Anthem and United Health and Aetna and a few others are happy. They, they got it. They got it made. Oh, and now government has an endless stream of subsidies to enable your price inflation. Okay. This is all the pro- – oh, and by the way, I didn't get to, get to Obamacare before Obamacare. The $270 billion tax exclusion for employers – what stupid idea, and rather than purchasing your own thing and everyone's in the same market, same purchasing power, it's much cheaper, it's portable, it solves a big part of the pre-existing condition problems because now you're tied down to work. That didn't happen naturally because of the free market. That was because the government, it was born out of uh, wage controls in the 40s and 50s. In the 1950s, they said, all right, you know, if, if you offer anything more, it's going to be taxed, but if you offer this amount of money for... uh Health insurance, not health care costs, but health insurance, then um, it's tax-free. That's a $270 billion a year handout to the insurance cartel. That's four times larger than the mortgage interest deduction. Um, so that screwed over individuals, have no purchasing power now, um, and that that's really, it put all the money in the hands of the cartel. The consumer is not the consumer. The insurers have all the money. And then finally, the the last ace in the hole, people forget, Medicare and Medicaid. People think that there's a private market and then there's the government, you know, the Medicare and Medicaid market. It's not true. The private market is not really private, as we noted. It, the government completely tilts the playing field to the cartel. And the public thing isn't pub- fully public. Guess who manages and implements Medicare and Medicaid, the insurance cartel. And you'll see Anthem New York, Medicaid. Um, they they administer it. That's why there's so much fraud in it and everything. But the point is, they use the boot of government to gain their advantage. This is worse than socialism. This is what Jim DeMint used to call venture socialism. Because it's the worst aspect of the private sector greed without the inherent market checks on you because the government gives you endless playing money. Um, this is going to shock your listeners. More than 50% of Aetna's revenue comes from Medicare and Medicaid. <laughs> what, what a joke. 50%? Remember when Elizabeth Warren and Barack Obama said, you didn't build that, you know, remember, you didn't build that? In this case, it's actually appropriate to apply that canard. You guys didn't build that. The government built that for you. That's, I did not realize that. More than 50%. Wow. 
Okay. Well, why, why do you think? Let, let me ask you. Why do you think there is such a visceral reaction to any reforms to Medicaid or ending the Medicaid expansion under Obamacare? It's not coming from a million men march of poor people on Washington. It's the venture of socialism. That's the problem we have in the country. In some ways, we're worse than Europe. See, if you just had so-called poor people and everything, you'd be able to appeal to them with better ways of actually, you know, I have a whole plan. You just hand them the money directly, and they purchase their own health care slash health insurance, and it would we'd come out way ahead of where we are now, because guess, guess who distorts the... And then you'd have price transparency, because you don't have a third party fixing the system every time. It's just directly consumer to patient, consumer to, to, to provider. Uh, you know, why can't we do that? They, they, I actually show how they would come out ahead. You know, wow. let's, let's agree with the left for a minute. Let's say we're going to, we have, what is it, um, about 70 billion people on Medicaid. It's a disgrace. But let's say, fine, we'll keep every one of the 70 bill, million people on Medicaid. You could hand them the money to directly purchase health care. We're never going to have that because it's too big to fail, the current system, because too many people are earning money off of it. That's what venture socialism is. It's just, it, it's disgusting. Um, and, and that's why this insurance bailout is so insidious. They make more than 50% of their money from government programs. The rest they make from a quasi-government program, which is the employer tax exclusion to purchase their product. I mean, imagine if I make a piece of crap and then, you know, the government tells employers, hey, you get, you know, tax-free salary if you go and offer it. Well, yeah, sure, you're going to do well. Um, and then, oh, by the way, you have to purchase my product and employers have to provide the product. Oh, and here's endless subsidies. It's disgusting. Wow. But there's no... Republicans are brain dead and mentally ill in an IQ of 40. They're incapable of articulating this issue from a position of strength. They, they agree to every fallacious premise of the left on it. And we're, you know, we're left with both parties singing out of the same draw. You know, in the last 15 minutes, I think our, our listeners and viewers learn more from you in 15 weeks or 15 months or even 15 years of the mainstream media. This is absolutely incredible information, especially about, uh, uh, the, the healthcare industry, and it's it's shocking to to hear those numbers, and um, uh, you know, wow, okay, wow, again, um, no other response to that but that. Do, do, do you want to? Uh, you're on a roll. So I, I, I by the way, I, I saw your your uh, column on the uh, unspoken Iran deal, and Trump should end the unspoken Iran deal. You want to raise your blood pressure even more by getting into that? Because I think that was a tremendous article that you have written, and, of course, it's posted uh, today. Uh, do you want to get into that, or do you want to? Well, yeah, I mean, it's funny. The two have nothing to do with each other, healthcare right. and that, but, I'm, I'm, but they're kind of rooted in the same principle, like I said. Yep. Everything is too big to fail. Yep. It's always the same paradigm. Nobody could think outside the box. So we have one policy that creates the problem, and then in the vicious cycle of failed government, you have to have the solution which perpetuates the problem. And, well, Daniel, we have to do it, otherwise we're going to have chaos, even though we already have chaos. And what what's going on in Iraq is, is this. Our government refuses, and our military leadership, which is corrupt as anything, refuses to recognize something that's quite obvious to anyone with some sanity, 
that we lost Iraq a long time ago. When I say Iraq, I mean Baghdad, the central government, that area, the main part of Iraq, we lost it. It is a puppet of Iran. Um, Qasem Soleimani, he's the head of the IRGC, that is the terrorist hegemonic arm of Iran. We just put on some sanctions, so we clearly recognize the problem of the IRGC. They are running Baghdad, straight up. Um, no, I mean, that, that mask has fallen off this week. And Iran could not pay us more for what we're doing. That the Baghdadi government is now a sworn enemy of America. The Shia militias backed by Iran, they're insane. But here's the problem. In order to recognize that, you would have to recognize, oh, so we kind of lost the Iraq war. We know we lost, what, 5,000 lives, thousands upon thousands, you know, wounded terribly, um, anywhere from one to two trillion in direct and indirect costs, all to give that Iran a free country. Yeah, I mean, it is what it is. You gotta recognize that. And the benefit of recognizing that is that let the Sunnis and Shia fight with themselves, but support the Kurds. They're the only stable pro-Western ally that could hold ground and is holding ground that won't bounce back between one enemy and another where our investments will go down the toilet. But instead, we're backing the enemies over our allies. It is, it is unbelievable what's going on there. Um, you know, in this, in your article, I, I, when I was reading your article, I, I had this uh, deja vu kind of feeling. Um, although it's, it's kind of a light, like you said, the healthcare and this issue are not entirely related, but they're not necessarily not related. But, um, I, I was thinking about Benghazi and about Hillary Clinton's State Department and, and the gun running operation by the, uh, criminal elements within the CIA that, you know, use Benghazi in northern Libya as the Ho Chi Minh Trail of Arms and, and trafficking uh, to, into Syria. I mean, throw Syria into the mix as well. Uh, overlay that with, with the, what's going on in Iran and, and, yeah, I mean, what what a flipping mess. What a mess this is. Is Speaking of health care, we should take a Hippocratic oath of foreign policy. Just do no harm. I mean, we would come out ahead if we just didn't, did nothing. Everyone's reading, what do we do? What do we do about Iran? We created all of these problems. It, it, it is unbelievable. We fight for our enemies. It, it's insane. And, and that was a great example. A lot of people focus on the scandal of not reacting to the attack on the consulate, that part of Benghazi, but there's a more foundational, what the heck were we doing there? And that's the thing. We're giving arms, you know, ISIS. That was it, ISIS, ISIS. ISIS is not the problem. The problem is Sharia, Islamic supremacism, and takes on different flavors, depending, it's, there's a Shia flavor, there's a Sunni flavor, and then multiple forms of that. It's mainly an immigration problem. It's a Muslim Brotherhood problem. Um, and then, you know, you have to make the right decisions with soft power and the funding and who to go after. Turkey, Qatar, and Iran, there are other problems. Um, we are helping them and getting bogged down on nonsense. So the tr- and, and this is lost on Trump. He thinks ISIS, I'm going to defeat ISIS. ISIS is defeated. They were never really a strategic threat. They just weren't. 
Now, it was the evangelizing the diaspora, but that was an immigration problem. Why do we lead them in? And once we let them in our country, that's an FBI problem. Um, you got to deal with that, but that's not a military problem. In terms, I, I, I have an article, you could Google it, um, at Fox Opinion, let Allah sort out the Syrian civil war. And I said at the time, yeah, I don't like ISIS, but that's Iran's problem and Iran's proxies in Syria, Lebanon, and Iraq, um, the Baghdadi government. Uh, you know, let, let them deal with it now. You know, and, and I hate to sound kind of callous about it, but it's not. You know, aside from trying to maybe help the Christians, the Yazidis, there was no good player there, and in some ways it was a good check against Iran. Instead, we bailed out Iran, we bailed them out, and then, um, and by the way, I have to go back another step. Why do we have, like, what is ISIS? Here, because this is very important going forward, what's going to happen again based on the policies we're doing. The reason why Iraq failed and the reason why you had al-Qaeda in Iraq and then ISIS and you're going to have a new iteration is because it's merely a reflection of the Sunni population and their response to the Iranian Shia hegemony in the area, taking over their areas. So we decided to get ourselves caught in between that. Like, we have to defeat ISIS. Well, actually, they're both bad. The Shia militias are, are beheading Peshmerga right now. Um, but let's only support our allies, let all of our enemies fight with each other, not deal with them. But the minute we supported the Shia go- Iranian government in Baghdad, that created a perpetual rubber band effect. You're always go because we're trying to hold Iraq together, and it doesn't exist, it never existed for most of history until after World War I. It's, it's not a country, it makes no sense, but we're trying to hold it together all with the Iranian-backed government. So A, it's stupid to support Iran, but B, you're also then creating the Sunni blowback that we're going to feel that we have to own and then bail out. So so look at this vicious cycle. So then the we spent tens of billions of dollars on the Iraqi military, which, by the way, is full of Shia militias backed by the IRGC and Iran. So this is a bigger deal than the Iranian nuclear deal. We are literally Iran's savior. Um... They ran for the hills when, you know, uh, ISIS came eastward, looked like they would be threatening Baghdad. They, they just ran for the hills. Who fought? America and the Kurds. Got rid of them. And by the way, at that time, our um, Abrams tanks that were given to Iraq, the Iraqi military fell into the hands of ISIS. Okay. Is that when that they thought. abandoned them? Yeah. 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 So, so hold that thought. So now the Kurds bravely, they, they braved all the issues with them and they held the land. And, and by the way, the good thing about them is they're not Arabs and they're, they're Sunni Muslims, but they're not, you know, supremacists. They're not jihadists, but they are Sunni. So they could somewhat, there are issues with the Arabs that they could hold the Sunni Arab area certainly a lot better than the Shias were. And, uh, so now that they, the Kurds took Kirkuk and declared independence at a referendum, all of our enemies, Turkey, Erdogan is the chief Muslim Brotherhood Islamo-fascist, Iran and Baghdad, which is a proxy of Iran, are now directly and indirectly attacking them. Baghdad, you know, the prime minister that we're supporting with our arms and our special ops that we support, train their special ops, went and attacked Kirkuk. Um, and it's, it looks like they've so far taken some ground. With our weapons, the people that fled ISIS 
are attacking those that actually fought. And our government's like, well, uh, both sides need to stop the, you know, the moral equivalents. We need to focus on fighting ISIS. Meanwhile, ISIS is defeated. They're not the problem. Iran is the problem now. And we're, we are the problem. <laughs> you know, we've, conf- we've, we've exactly. seen the problem and it, it is us. It, it is what we are doing. It, it is, it is unconscionable what we're doing in the Middle East. But this is lost on, you know, everyone in government is dumb. But the dumbest human beings are the foreign policy thumb-sucking establishment. These are people that think the PLO deserves a state and we should expend our political capital fighting for that. But the Kurds don't. That's how stupid these people are. I, I love that. We're going to have to isolate that for some, but if we can, man, that, that that's that's absolutely uh, precious. But, but, you know, it's interesting because you, you mentioned your opinion piece from Fox. You, you said virtually the same thing or wrote it back in uh, September of 2013. Pretty much you called it in 2013, uh, four years ago. September 3rd, by the way, 2013. It's amazing. So, yeah. Wow. Okay. Uh, all right. Um, w- again, what a mess. But we caused that mess. And, it, and it's worse. I mean, we're backing Iran in every theater, every single theater. Um, Hezbollah. Right. Right. Hezbollah has been attacking us since 79. Um, they've, well, I mean, I guess that was the forerunner. They were officially created in the mid 80s, but. Um, they have a massive presence in the Western Hemisphere in America. Uh, a couple people this year were arrested, a couple of Hezbollah operatives in America for taking surveillance. Um, they are, have always been a much bigger strategic threat than ISIS is over with. I mean, it's, it's, this has not filtered out to the people, I guess, who, you know, and, and even the, you know, the members of Congress and the executive branch. ISIS is not a problem. To the extent there's some remnants, if anything, it's a little bit of a check on Iran. I mean, it, the stupidest thing you could do is focus on wiping them out on behalf of Iran. But we just sanctioned um, two Hezbollah guys, and we re- the State Department put out some sort of statement recognizing the problem. Guess what? We are giving money to the Lebanese armed forces. We're giving Abrams tanks. We're giving all sorts of sophisticated weaponry to the Lebanese army. Now, you know what the Lebanese army is. <laughs> They're as independent of um, of uh, Hezbollah as the Democrats are from George Soros. I mean, Hezbollah controls that country. Nobody denies that, certainly you know, over the last couple of years. So we are giving Hezbollah weapons, and then we're having our special ops fight on the western front, you know, the the border of Lebanon and Syria, fight the remnants of the Islamic State on behalf of Hezbollah, and Hezbollah is now ten times more of the problem, ten times stronger, the balance of power, which is what I warned, like you said in that column in September 2013, that, that keep it even, the worst thing you could do is tip the balance of power to Iran, which is much deeper, more foundational threat than ISIS ever was, that was just a flash in the pan, um, we are fighting alongside Hezbollah. Uh, one Middle Eastern paper, our monitor, um, reported that the state, the CENCOM, U.S. CENCOM, supposedly, yeah, reportedly, this is one report, asked these guys in Lebanon, Lebanese government, not to mention that Hezbollah was on the ground there. 
So they know what they're doing. It's not that they're unaware of it. They don't want you to know what they're doing. To to what end, though? Mr. Horowitz, to to what end? Because... Same thing with Obamacare and healthcare. They're, because okay. the status quo, the status quo, there's a reason we are where we are. It's the reason we're going to continue being where we are. That there are too many, that it's, it's the foxes guarding the hen house. It's the same people that broke every policy, that run every policy. <coughs> you know, isn't it funny how everyone on TV talking about North Korea is from the last three administrations that created the problem? I mean, th- this is this is how politics works, um, and what's so said is Trump recognized this. He said the Iraq War was a colossal mistake. Why are we fighting for it? He, in a macro sense, he recognizes, but he doesn't get the details. He doesn't care to get the details. Everyone around him is a jerk, is a liberal, um, and, and then the military leadership is the worst here because they've invested 15 year, years in failure. They will never, like I said. To confront that would admit that the Iraq war was a mistake, and they can't admit that. So, and the same thing with Afghanistan. So what they have to do is double down on failure. Keep the same, this is the third term of Obama's foreign policy. Um, and, you know, the few things that Trump understands very clearly, and he feels he has a campaign promise, he tries on some level to do, but it's never going to be carried to the goal line in the end zone, because he took Dunford, Mattis, Kelly, McMaster. They are the problem. These are all people pushing transgenderism in the military, by the way. So just look upon their foreign policy as the transgender equivalent of strategy. You know, that's, I mean, that's how screwed up these people are. The military leadership. And again, Trump, if you remember in the Commander-in-Chief Forum, what was it, September of last year with Hillary, it was, uh, it wasn't a debate, but it was a, it's called the Commander-in-Chief Forum. Yes. And, uh, it was one of the boldest things he's ever said, and it was so true, and it definitely resonated with the people, that our generals had been reduced to rubble. And oh, he I remember that. But then, he goes and elevates the worst of them to civilian leadership positions. Exactly. Man, this is the, this is what's so, it's like drinking coffee with a fork, you know, you get a little <laughs> bit and you can't, that's the problem with Trump, because of his personal flaws, because of his lack of knowledge, because of, I mean, like, he hates Tillerson now, well lovely, but we warned about that, why do you appoint him without ever asking him what his world view was? There you go, it, you know, exactly. It's it just, this is what's so frustrating, you have some glimmer of hope in Trump, but then you got his problems, you got the people around him, you got the whole executive branch, the shallow and deep states, you got Congress, and you got the courts that are all just horrible. And then I'll finally end off. You have a conservative media that by and large, when I say I don't mean, you know, the news shows like yours, but I mean the traditional conservative media they're just stuck on this old stale paradigm. The, their rear ends to the liberal media, because whatever they'll focus on, they'll re- just be, you know, react to. They have no understanding of a proactive agenda, what is important to conservatives on any given day. And that's why I'm really thankful sh- for shows like your own that will give a platform to people like me to actually give people, you know, just a different view. And, and I, you know, I've been rambling for 50 minutes here, but I would venture to say a good part of it is probably pretty bipartisan among the people. You know, it, 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 a lot of what we're talking about tonight isn't even so rigidly 
along ideological lines. This is pure common sense. Exactly. If you got outside of the political class, which includes a lot of the conservative media, um, I think it would resonate with with even a lot of Democrat voters. I, I think I think what you've said over the last fifty or some minutes. I think I think you're exactly right, and I think we have to get get out of this right or this uh, uh, the political labels that we see with with especially on the conservative side. And and you know I've noticed that the conservative media has become more reactionary as opposed to proactive, which is what you pointed out. Um, it's 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 amazing, and much of our government has been uh, conservative government where there is any has become reactionary as opposed to proactive when they should be proactive. Um, if I said that right, I, I, I think that's. I think you might agree with me on that. No, no, I, I absolutely, absolutely. I mean, this is the problem that we have a crisis of values of intellect on the right in, in among the professional political class. Right. You said something very interesting at the beginning of the show that you know, gosh, you you, you would need a full time job in this to realize understand it, and that's true. Oh yeah, and that's why I feel a responsibility if I'm going to do this not to fax it in on the cheap. And really try to give people what I think is the most important stuff going on in a given day or week, and what I think we could realistically redress and different options. You know, just going back to healthcare, I encourage your listeners to Google on um, the conservative solutions to pre-existing conditions, twenty conservative free market healthcare ideas from from my name, and you know, we have a lot of ideas out there. I just don't see anyone doing this, and we just react to what happened on Twitter, what he said here, what. What, what this happened, um, you know, and then much of the conservative media has been divided in, oh, are you for Trump? Are you against Trump? Oh, now you're attacking. It's not about Trump. It's about we should have fixed values and common sense to apply them. And, you know, where Trump's helpful, we'll, we'll you know, cheer him on. Where he's not, we'll try to, you know, force a, a, a change, a, a, a course correction. Um, but everyone gets so caught up in nonsense. Indeed. And, um, you know, this is the 30-second soundbite culture on Fox News, and, oh, I got to be a Fox contributor. Uh, you know, <laughs> I mean, that's the end all, and they're destroying the conservative uh, intellect. Daniel Horowitz is our guest, of course. ConservativeReview.com is his website. Daniel, in uh, 30 seconds we have left with you, uh, tell us how, how our listeners, our viewers can help you spread your message, spread the word, or keep you, uh, keep you going. Is there anything that, uh, you know, how, how can we best help you? Sure. Go, go to Conservative Review. You can subscribe to our emails where you can see some of these articles. Follow me on Twitter at rmconservative where I'll try to do some of this in 140 characters or so. Uh, I have a podcast, The Conservative Conscience, um, at least twice a week. It's available on iTunes or iHeart, uh, where you could just hear me unload on an array of things that whether you agree or disagree, it, it's not the typical talking points or even focus. Uh, but nonetheless, I think it's very important. And, you know, we have connected to Conservative Review, Conservative Review TV, CRTV, where we have all sorts of shows that are – Phil Robertson has just gotten a show. It's going to start soon. Um, that's going to be very exciting uh, to attack political correctness on uh, on CRTV. Um, mm-hmm. we got Mark Levin, obviously, Michelle Malkin. we got some others, exciting names. So – Fantastic. Okay. And we, we got shows like your own. We need alternatives. I mean, just like with the insurance cartel, you need choices in competition. I think in conservative thought in the Republican Party, we really need um, 
new, fresh thinking, and and uh, that's what we try to offer. Dana Horowitz, thank you so very much for your gracious gift of time. I know that you're a busy man. You've got uh, personal and professional commitments, but we do thank you for uh, giving us your gift of time tonight. Uh, incredible as always. Please come back and join us again. Really looking forward. Thank All you. Right. All right. Thanks, Daniel. Daniel Horowitz, conservativereview.com. Follow him on social networking, Facebook, Twitter, and of course go to his website, sign up for his email, email, uh, uh, his newsletter for updates. Please do that. Yeah, I, I do that. And by the way, his podcast, I, I, I use that as show prep. It's, it is, it's incredible. Some of the, some of the subjects that he covers is absolutely incredible, are absolutely incredible. Now we have with us Stuart Rhodes, who's actually, uh, Stuart Rhodes is actually on the ground in San Juan, Puerto Rico. He is head of the Oath Keepers, founder and director of the Oath Keepers. He's here to give us a situational report about really what's taking place in, in Puerto Rico. It's not what you're hearing on the news. It's much, much, much worse. And here's a man who's actually involved in the ground, on the ground, involved in helping those people in Puerto Rico. John had a long talk with him. Um, what, please pay attention to what is taking place here. Please, if you do nothing else, please listen to what Stuart Rhodes has to, has to say about the situation in Puerto Rico. And please tell everyone you know about his, about the information he is about to give you. Just give me a thumbs up when he, when he's, okay, we're, he's with us now. Let's not take any more time. Let's go right to Stuart Rhodes on the ground in Puerto Rico. Stuart Rhodes, thank you for joining us. Uh, thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. I'm actually not in San Juan. I'm in, I'm in Aguadillas. Which is, which is, um, important because almost everybody goes to San Juan and they see that, you know, San Juan looks pretty good. Well, San Juan didn't get smacked in the head by the, by the hurricane. That was the rest of the country that did. Rest of the, rest of the island. That was my fault, uh, Mr. Rose. I can't read, actually. John, the producer, would no, give you that. Okay. All right. Um, uh, all right. Well, well, give us a sit rep. What, what the heck is going on down there, my friend? Well, what's going on is the same crap you saw in Texas and, and Florida is absolute. You, you, you know, is it ineptitude on the part of FEMA or is it intentional malice? We, we just don't know. Um, but the end result is that FEMA takes weeks, if not months, to do anything. Um, it's just slow, and the Red Cross is almost non-existent down here as well. I mean, we saw the same thing in Texas and Florida, and we're seeing the same thing in San Juan, I mean, uh, in Puerto Rico. Um, everything that's going on is consistent across all three emergencies is that the rural areas and the poorer areas are being neglected. Everyone's focused on the big cities, like when they focused on Houston and neglected the small towns that were just wiped away. Same thing we saw in Florida, same thing we're seeing here. So the interior of the country, the, the mountainous regions, um, massive mudslides and road, road, uh, failures and homes washed away with, with, with rock and with mud. And, uh, filled with floodwaters and all the rivers. All the, you know, a lot of folks don't realize that when a hurricane comes through, as you saw in Texas, you get a huge surge in the rivers and the rivers overflow. Same thing happened in Puerto Rico. You had surge flooding, just as you saw in Texas and, and, and in Florida. Same kind of thing here. So it's consistent. A hurricane doesn't care where they're at, what language you speak, it's going to be the same, same behavior and it's going to do the same thing to people. Um, so we see devastated communities that have been flattened. One thing that was striking to us is when we got here, there are no leaves on the trees. It just blew, it just blew away. It's like Puerto Rico got a haircut and it blew away all the, all the greenery. It's all brown, twisted up branches. It's like Iwo Jima. So 
two weeks of not had one negative interaction with any 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 Puerto Rican, but good people. Um, very resilient, very very willing to pitch in and help. But they've got limited resources. When they've got a neighborhood, an entire town without without power, without water, um, it's hard. It's hard on on poor people. It's hard on working class shifts. You know, the rich people can go go to San Juan and go. You know, when the stores open back up, and go buy groceries. But the same thing we saw in Texas and Florida. If you're, if you're working poor and you spent your last dollar on what you could you could before the hurricane hit, and now you're out of work for two weeks, you're in trouble. And so we have a lot of people in the rural and the urban areas who are in trouble if you don't have work and don't have any money. Um, and the other problem is, is there have been towns we've gone to, and we were at a town yesterday where the commissioner in uh Grande, where the town commissioner asked us if we can get food relief in to restock the grocery store. He said that the grocery store has no, no food to sell. Even if there's people who have, have money, there's no food to sell in the grocery store. Other towns, there's food in the, in the market, so they've opened back up, but unless you have cash, you, you can't buy it. Well, I have not bought one thing with a debit card here. It's all been cash. You know, we've had to have cash. We bought it with ourselves. Um, for the first week we were here, we had no phone whatsoever, no internet whatsoever, and absolutely no use of any kind of debit card. This last few days, we've been able to go to an ATM and put a long line. So they're starting to get back online. The gas lines are not as long as they used to be. Um, but and there's you know you can make it to an ATM now and get cash out and more stores are open but the interior in the mountain regions is still rough um, we've gone into barrios out in the rural areas uh, even suburban areas where they told us when we show up that we're the first people they've seen they've seen nothing from FEMA they've seen nothing from the government of Puerto Rico they've seen nothing from the Red Cross and I just find that shocking you know the billions of dollars that are pumped that are pumped into the Red Cross. I have no idea where it's going, but it sure is not going where it should. It should be there should be trucks there should be an army of Red Cross trucks all over this place. But the same thing we saw in Texas, same thing we saw in Florida. I'm not sure what happened to the Red Cross, but um, apparently they just lost their way. So what has to happen is the US military has filled in and I think they've done a great job. We are now plugged in with the uh, with the J Lock down here, Joint Logistics Operations Center. And with their S2, um, we're basically acting as scouts for the S2 for the, for the U.S. military. So we're doing that. We're letting them know the hard-hit areas, and they're going out with helicopter drops or with trucks to go and break the food. Um, we have been very frustrated because the last two weeks, lots of promises were made of, of private relief flights coming into the Agadir area. We haven't seen one. We saw well, We saw one flight with water. That was it. So everything is bottlenecked in San Juan. It's the same crap we knew about when we were coming in, that almost everything from the States goes to San Juan first, and either, either FEMA takes it and slaps a label on it and controls it, or some private company takes it, or some corrupt mayor takes it. There's been several instances of mayors, corrupt uh, officials, taking aid and, and hoarding it like a friggin' Somali warlord, and they're, uh, you know, thankfully the FBI is on that and investigating them. Um, I gotta be blind. I mean, I'm a Trump supporter. I voted for him. I think he's making a massive mistake with how he's handling Puerto Rico. I think he should have just dropped everything else he was doing and come down here and parked his rear end on a, on a Navy ship or on a military base and, and took charge and got this fixed. And he should have done it for the U.S. military. The U.S. military is efficient and gets things done. Everything else is either inefficient and a bureaucratic nonsense or it's corrupt to beat the band. 
And so um, the two entities that work the best that I've seen are grassroots groups, small churches, um, who just take the ball, you know, the bull by the horns on their own, or U.S. military and local cops. Today, we, we uh, actually yesterday we, we went to uh, do a wellness check on a pregnant lady who reportedly had needed four days, and the local police from Iwadia escorted us all the way down to where she was in Cabo uh, Grande. And it turns out it was old intel; she was fine. But they gave us an escort, and the cops told us they said, "If you get food coming in here, they said make sure that you meet the plane, take it off the plane, put it on your trucks." and take it straight to the people that need it. Don't trust anybody along that chain. Make sure you maintain possession. So that's our plan. We're hoping to get the natural food deliveries, um, and we're now plugging in with some churches that have, have actually gone out and given out food. And our goal with them is to you know, escort them and assist them. But if we get aid coming towards us, finally, we're going to make sure that we guard it every step of the way. Because otherwise, we get confiscated by, by corrupt officials, either by FEMA or by corrupt local officials. It's pretty bad. Wow, uh, Stuart, you just laid a lot of info out there uh, from reports that FEMA are confiscating the average citizen's preps to the fact that Puerto Rico, many of the areas there are still without power and inaccessible. Um, we've heard from Hurricane Harvey, we saw videos of the Red Cross actually throwing away hundreds of pounds of food that were donated uh, by uh, different people to churches and other organizations and we see that um, especially with Harvey in Houston that even the, one of the city councilmen you know, called it uh, the red lost saying they hadn't seen a dime from any of the uh, money that was raised by the Red Cross going to relief efforts and it sounds right. like it's uh, you know you have the same situations it's going on there it's a repeat pattern yeah um, the Louisiana folks that I know absolutely despise Red Cross it was their experience last year in Louisiana and also after Katrina so you know whether it's the FEMA or the Red Cross uh, the bigger it is the more bureaucratic it is what's what effective it is so that's just the reality um, like I said the military is most effective in small churches well, so well, you're, we you're, do, you're down there. Can, what's that? Uh, now, now, you're down there. Oath Keepers are down there getting stuff done. So we want to know how can we best help you, obviously. And it's a shame well, because we're, we, we could, you know. The most important need is food. If somebody there listening has a delivery of food that they know is coming into Puerto Rico, that they can assure us is going to be what they say it's going to be, we'll come get it and we'll distribute it. Um, that's the biggest thing we have. We're, we're doing wellness checks right now. We have some medics with us, and we're going out and seeing if people are okay. And if, we, if they need transport, we transport them back. This was interesting. It's the DMAT here, you know, the disaster medical assistance team that's set up in a, uh, basically a field hospital next to the Agudia Hospital. Um, the Agudia Hospital had too much mold damage to be shut down. But the DMAT team here has asked us to be basically their scouts and their ambulance. They're not allowed by regulations to go out into the community, but they can accept patients. They told us, if we go find someone that needs medical care, bring it to them, bring them to them, and if they need to be airlifted, they'll airlift them out. So we're acting as their scouts and their, and their, uh, you know, their ambulance team, ironically, kind of bizarre. So that's what we're doing. We're going out, and then our goal is to go out to where, you know, no one's done yet, find the community that need help, let the military know if someone needs medical care, we'll transport them back to the DMAT, get them there, lift it out, we're taking care of right there. 
Um, but we'd be awesome to be able to take food and water with us when we go. So we've got some water that's been provided to us by the DMAT team. Uh, we pledged some of that to the local fire department. We're going to support them. But um, we really need to, I mean, we have to be able to take food with us. Um, the, what, what would you say the, the, how much power is on in Puerto Rico? Do you say that there's 20% um, back to normal? In some 50%? of the bigger towns, power's coming back on, but it's spotty, and in, in the rural areas, it's still dark. But there's entire sections of, of major cities that are still black. It's just kind of off and on. And the water situation is also kind of bad. There's, there's water coming back on some places that's sporadic, and they don't trust it. So the Sawyer filters that, that people can buy, that's what they need in their hands. And there's a, there's a other outfit, um, who's, uh, Paul's his first name, I can't remember his last name, but he's running around putting up the, uh, water filtration systems with these solar filters. He's doing a really good job. So, um, in fact, I think we're going to be looking at him tomorrow. We're going to learn how they do it. But really, if anyone's going to be sending aid to Puerto Rico, you want those little Sawyer water filters that, that use, uh, these carbon filters. That could be a real, a real lifesaver, uh, to keep kids getting sick. You know, you don't want typhoid fever. Mm-hmm. Uh, you don't want any kind of stuff that you now, or uh, or anything worse. So, I'm not an expert on that, but I know that if you have bad water, you're going to be you're going to be a public leak without paddle. It clean water. Um, big big issue is is going to be clean water. Those filters will help, and then food. And in the rural areas and the hard hit, uh, the poor areas, or where you're going to need the food to come in. So, if you're in a church that's planning on coming to Puerto Rico. Just make sure it gets to the town where you want it to go. Make sure you go to the western side of the, of the state or the, or the island. That's the hardest bit and the most neglected. And the politicos, there are tired barrios and neighborhoods they just don't care about because, you know, those are poor people and they overlook. So, uh, well, that's okay. reality, you know. And we saw it in Texas Correct. too. Let anybody think it's, oh, that's because it's Puerto Rico. No, we saw the exact same thing in Texas. We saw precisely the same thing in Florida. The smaller and more rural areas that got wiped out were neglected. The politicians go to the big cities where all the cameras are, and that's where they, where they hang out. And the journalists, too. And I'm going to tell you right now, I saw a report of Alex Jones that it's full of crap. Right? So when they say that they, you know, the lights are on and the, and, the, and the stores are open again and Puerto Rico's doing fine, that's a bunch of crap because he hung out in San Juan. He didn't go out in the countryside. He did not get his food dirty. And spend you know a week out of the country, and you'll see a different freaking Puerto Rico. So I think Trump is making a massive mistake. He needs to come fix this, take charge, cut through all the red crap, red crap, drain the swamp of FEMA and all the okay. ineptitude and, and corruption, and get this thing handled. And he's using his military to do it. He should do it. So, so just to be clear, all, all the all what you see, the images from San Juan, that's all that's all BS. I mean, well, it's it's sure. Well, I mean, it's all right. <laughs> right, right, exactly. Yeah, I, yeah. I, I mean, it's being used as look. Everything's fine. It's, uh, efficiency. It's uh, like, no, it's not. And, and the left is going to blame Trump for it. And, you know, they already are. He's damned if he do, right. damned if he doesn't. You know, with the left. But why right. give them ammunition is used against you? You know, do the right thing. Um, come and fix it. And you can't say it's because you know, Puerto Rico's bad infrastructure. They got hit. It's bad. They got hit hard. Yeah. 
the yeah. three point four million people, and and uh, it's it's it, and folks, it, it's an unincorporated uh, uh, part of the United States. So it's part of the United States. Three point four million people. It's our responsibility. And what Stuart Rhodes is saying, firsthand account, uh, we are not tending to our responsibility of the people. Well, there's a bunch of veterans here. I mean, a lot of the guys that pitched in and helped us have been Puerto Ricans and served in the U.S. military, um, current serving National Guard, Puerto Rican National Guard. In fact, we bunked last night with a bunch of uh, Puerto Rican Army Reservists. We were in the same exact room with them, you know, sharing, sharing a room. So, you know, they're all good to go. These are good people. Oh, okay. Well, how long have you been down there, uh, Mr. Rhodes? I'm just curious. Two weeks. Two right. weeks almost a day. So you... In fact, it was two weeks yesterday. So we started yeah. off as a PSD for Dr. Thompson um, from Blue Bay Volunteers and went out with her. And then uh, we also plugged in with locals who were man- managed to get some food together. We helped them distribute food in the water state areas. Um, we did some road clearing. We helped clear a tree that had fallen on the house. Um, transported a kid to the hospital that had a skin infection. We've been doing a lot of med checks, you know, just on the credit lady. We've just been doing, you know, everywhere we go, we, we go and do what we can. But we, sure. you know, we bum, we bum food off the military. We'll give us some MREs, some can of tuna, and we'll give it out. But it's been very frustrating. There are, there are mountains of food in the San Juan that are donated by the American people. They're going nowhere because of corrupt trucking companies and corrupt politicians. Stop sending stuff to San Juan. Only send stuff to like Aguadilla or Ponce or someplace on the west or the south. You know, get around San Juan. San Juan is a waste of time. It's a black hole. He says that right. San Juan is going to line the pockets of some rich bureaucrats. Okay, and, and to be clear, people can go to oathkeepers.org, and you've got it written out there pretty well. I think how people can help, where they can send. We could use some funds. I mean, I got to spend money out of my pocket to feed my guys and and, and, and provide gas and, and also the transport. So right. we could use the money. Like you said, you know, Let's not gonna lie. Um, they can go to and hit the donate button, which would certainly be helpful. But the big, you know, we're dropping the bucket. The big issue here is getting around San Juan. If you guys can, you know, you have a plane or a boat, and you can get into Ponce in the south or, or Aguadilla up here on, on the northwest, just get around San Juan and bring it straight to the people. And you contact us and let us know you're coming. We'll plug you in. We'll plug you in with local firefighters. We got local cops who will guard and protect it, and they'll do convoy protection for us. We got local firefighters that will use their fire hall store. Um, with Donald Trump and his response, he he said that the uh, that, that there's been a lot of that the power grid was was you know in terrible shape before this disaster yeah, happened. With. That the uh, Puerto Rico's national debt would have to be wiped out. And that um, he's thinking about, you know, that he said FEMA can't stay forever. I saw a few investigative reports of people from CNN and other areas that were doing reports in the areas you're talking about, those most uh, affected, and they're doing these big, huge helicopter drops of food and water, but then they showed what was inside as far as meals are concerned, and you're talking about like a can of Spam and some crackers. Uh, how much of, of the rural areas are inaccessible due to the mudslides, the washed-out roads. Uh, it's you gotten say? better. They've, they've cleared a lot of roads. They were really bad. They cleared a lot of those roads, but the problem is those, those same people are now dealing with flooded homes and mold, you know, destroyed, destroyed homes. 
Yeah, we saw in Texas and Florida, you, you go down the streets and there's piles of, of uh, belongings piled in the street because they're all ruined. So wow. they're devastated. They don't have they don't have good water anymore. If they have any water at all, it's, like I said, it's, it's not trustworthy. Um, they don't have power. Um, so, you know, it, this is weird. I never thought I'd agree with anything I'd see on CNN, but the reports on CNN are accurate. I mean, this is not okay. And it's not like, oh, we've done enough, we should just walk away. Yeah, Puerto Rico had a jacked up infrastructure. And the biggest problem is, is above, above the ground, you know, power lines, old-fashioned power lines, strung up on poles above the ground, and they're all they're all wiped out. That's that's why that's why it was just it was so bad here. And, but you know what? It's that's how it goes. But you can't punish the people because the, the government's inept, inept and, and corrupt. It's like in the United States, you know. Amen. Amen. So the, the fact is, Amen. you've got children who need clean water and food, and you can't blame them. They're not responsible for what some corrupt, sack of crap politician in San Juan is down to their, to their community. So we need to take care of the people first. And then, you, like, you know, we want to drain the swamp, drain the swamp of Puerto Rico, too. But I think Trump's way of doing it shouldn't be to let the, the people, you know, flap in the breeze and, and suffer. Um, he should come in here and clean house. Okay? This is a U.S. territory. Uh, he's Absolutely. He's the chief. Use the military. Fix this. And then do what he can to tackle the corruption. But the corruption, you know, it is bad here. It is very corrupt. Um, that's the wow. one thing that, you know, there's corruption in the United States as well, but it's even worse here. But once Stuart, again, you've you got to go back to duty. Stuart Rhodes, head of, founder of OathKeepers.org, OathKeepers.org. Let's help him out. Let's dig deep. Um, and also, hey, if you, if you have a private plane, whatever, you want to take food down, uh, get a hold of Mr. Rhodes via OathKeepers.org. Let's get this done. Let's show what uh, our Christian audience can do on behalf of fellow Christians. And, and Stuart Rhodes, thank you so very much, man. Um, thank, really, thank you for doing what you do, because if you weren't doing it, I'm not sure, I mean, really, who else would? Uh, well, that, all we a, can do is to show what should be done. I really encourage, uh, we think that this happens. Those are the steps that should just go. Just want to team up and go. Don't wait for, you know, don't wait for some big, you know, monkey, might tell you it's okay. Just get a team of guys together and go. The final word, trust me. Amen. Thank you so much, Stuart. And, uh, yeah, folks, if you're going to, um, instead of donating to the Red Cross, don't do that. Yeah. Uh, contact Stuart Rhodes at, at Oath Keepers, and you can uh, do the most for people by helping them directly or by people like Stuart Rhodes, who's in Puerto Rico, or Coach Dave, who's in Texas, who are directly dispersing that help to the people without any government or other organizational interference. Mr. Rose, you stay safe out there, and thank you so much for all of your help and uh, for this situational report. And I just want to say uh, there's an email they can use at PuertoRico.org if you have a supply scheme you want to contact us. That's the email we monitor. Thank you. Okay, so PuertoRico at OathKeepers.org That's right. is the email. Okay. We'll make sure to spread this far and wide. And thank you for setting the record straight as to what's really happening down there. Uh, we thank, thank you. a lot of you. Uh, high, we hold you in high esteem, and we're glad that uh, we're glad that you're on our side. We really are. Appreciate so, it. God bless th- you. Thank you. God bless. Wow. And Joe, that's what you know. Joe, to me, Stuart Rhodes, just everything I thought I knew about Puerto Rico, he just absolutely set it straight. I, I, yeah. I, 
I mean, I, I get it now. I, I saw reports weeks ago from uh, reporters on the ground in Puerto Rico, and they were showcasing how FEMA and other organizations were getting relief to those rural areas. Never one mention about, uh, you know, these organizations and officials taking relief that's being sent to individuals uh, there or other individuals who are trying to disperse relief, having them having the items confiscated only to be taken and dispersed, you know, by them or who knows what they do with them at that point. But it's such a shame. Every time we see a natural disaster like this, we get these huge corporate bloated organizations that that take donations in the name of the relief efforts, pocket 70% of the money themselves, and then, you know, don't do any kind of a job of distributing the other 30% to those who are in need. It's horrible when you have so many people, especially Americans, who are willing to help others who are needing that relief and their hard-earned money that they're donating to help these people in need is being taken by these corrupt and crooked organizations. It's really a shame, and it's uh, infuriating. It's it's good that we we got, in my view anyway, it's, it's, it's absolutely critical that we got the real deal story from Stuart Rhodes. San Juan is being used as the... As the um, I don't know. They're showcase. They're showcasing San Juan. See, things aren't that bad. Well, my butt, they're not bad. That bad. You just heard Stuart Rhodes explain what's going on, and then you've got the corruption thrown in. FEMA, what a useless piece of crap organization. The Red Cross, in my view, worthless. This is all my opinion now. Uh, you know, for legal sake, uh, I have to read a disclaimer every time I talk. But worthless, worthless. If you, if you, I'm from the federal government here to help. Worthless or an NGO like. Uh, the Red Cross, in my view, worthless. And uh, the, where the real help is, OathKeepers.org, and, of course, people like Coach Dave Dobmeyer, Coach Dave Alive, who is coming on momentarily. In fact, he's on with us right now, Coach Dave Dobmeyer, CoachDaveLive.com. Coach, come on come on in, sir. Doug and Joe, appreciate the chance to, to come in tonight. Actually, just kind of a last-minute call from John that, that uh, enabled me to be able to be here. I'm home. I, I just... I just listened to Stuart Rhodes, and I, I want people to know something. Uh, I know what he's gone through. I mean, I don't really know what he's gone through, but I know what life on the road at disasters is like. And when he just said that he's been down there for two weeks, brother, I can't even, I just can't even uh, explain what that's like. And I just tip my hat to Stuart. I would say something probably that Stuart wouldn't say because he just is probably a good enough guy that he wouldn't say it. But uh, there are a lot of, I don't know, 50,000 Oath Keepers out there. And I would bet if we were to check, it's just a small handful of guys that really actively got involved. And one of the reasons that's probably happening is we don't understand what we're supposed to do. We're not organized. We don't get it. A lot of things are going on. But uh, Doug and Joe, this, uh, this natural disaster that seems to be coming one after another over the, over the hills, brothers, we have got to get ourselves prepared. We are... We are constantly in a reactive mode. And at some point, the church, I'm talking about the church, whatever that, whatever that thing is, whether it's that brick and mortar building down on the corner, whatever it is, as I've said, every time I've had an opportunity to come on your show or other shows that I've been able to come on, this is an, this is a window of an opportunity that the Lord has given the church to be great again. Not, not make America great again, but the church the opportunity to make America great again. Now we can look at what happened in, in uh, Texas while followed quickly in Florida, while followed quickly in 
Puerto Rico, I got a buck flying in front of me here. Sorry if I keep swatting at it. And then what followed quickly in San Francisco, it's disaster after disaster after disaster. And we are totally, completely unprepared for the calamity that's coming over the hill, Doug. And we know that we've been, people out there call themselves preppers. Well, this is that. <laughs> what is it that we've been, what is it that we've been waiting for? Those times there it are is. upon us right now. Now, whether, now, whether it's the judgment of God, we can get into all that debate, whether we want to. And to me, that wastes a lot of effort, a lot of energy. Here's what I know. There are a lot of hurting people in Texas. There are a lot of people still hurting in Florida. There are a lot of per- people hurting in, in Puerto Rico. There are a lot of people hurting in San Francisco, that area. And it's all happening, Doug, Joe, because the church is not ready to do what the church is designed to do, to help our neighbors, to be ready to stand up and, and uh, make a difference in the lives of people. And what uh, the lesson that I've learned out of this, when we went down into, into Texas, and I've been down there, I'll be going down my fourth time here uh, soon. Uh, what I've learned down there, Doug, is, again, we are so, so unprepared, and particularly the church is unre- unprepared. Now, let me let me echo what you just said and what Stuart said. In all my time in Gulf and uh, Rockport and in Port Arthur, I haven't seen any Red Cross. Now, they may be there. God bless them. They may be there, but I haven't seen them. And I haven't seen FEMA and very little of the Salvation Army. Those three big organizations that we count on to make a difference, brothers, I'm just, I'm just not seeing them. And what we've, what they've designed, what they have done, whether it's on purpose or not, they have programmed us to depend on the government to come in and rescue us. And I can't tell you the number of times over the many times that we've uh, run to, to a crisis like this and tried to help. The reaction of the people is, well, FEMA is going to be here on Tuesday or the Red Cross will be here. Brothers and sisters, it ain't coming. It ain't coming from the government. I'm just here to tell you. And that's why in the, as, as times continue to roll, brothers, we have got to make sure that we locally are prepared to help those who live in the areas which all all politics starts at home. And every day say all politics are local. Well, brother, all disaster relief is local as well. Now, here's what we do know. If something blows in like happened in the, the four places I've talked about and your community gets totally destroyed, well, all the preparation you've done probably isn't going to help. But what about the bordering community? Are the bordering towns, are they able? I'm, I've been amazed at the number of times we've been down into Houston. I'm sorry, down into uh, Rockport and down into Port Arthur and there aren't any Texans helping. Where are the Texans? Why do I have to go from Ohio? Why does Stuart Rhodes have to go from I think he's out west. I think he's like in Wyoming or something like that. Why does he have to go to, to the, those disasters? So I think it's something that uh, we've got to shake and wake ourselves in the church and quit thinking about Christianity and everything's all about us and uh, get more prepared to figure out how we can better serve and help our community. You know, Coach Dave, I just want to ask a question. Not this. I'm not asking it of you. I guess I'm asking it about you. And, and, and you know, here's here we have Coach Dave Dobmeyer as a guest on the Hagman Report. We had Stuart Rhodes right before him talking about uh, 
uh, well, not actually talking about, but actually on the ground in Puerto Rico. Coach Dave Dobmeyer has been on the ground in Texas, everywhere there's, there's a disaster. And you know, what really gets, what really gets me is you've got this, this organization known as Right Wing Watch. And I, that's the last time I'm going to say that name of that, of that, uh, <laughs> despicable website and, and some snowflake by the name of Kyle. Let me ask you, Kyle, who, who apparently, you know, you, you believe or who you, I don't know, is stalking Coach Dave Dobmeyer, in my view, anyway. Um, what in the hell, Kyle, have you done to help other people? Uh, my bet is zero. What Have you been on the ground in Texas? Have you been on the ground in Puerto Rico? And here you sit behind some... Uh, some website and do nothing but uh, be critical of guys like Dave Dobmeyer and and that uh, coach yep. I got I got to tell you that pisses me off to no end. All right, so I like it, brother. Hey, hey listen, I've I've been in Texas, like I said, going down to my fourth time. I haven't seen Black Lives Matter yet. There you go. I haven't seen Antifa. I haven't seen the Muslim Brotherhood. I haven't seen any of these people, Doug. And part of it is the disinformation uh, that's going on, trying to paint us, those of us who carry the name of Christ try to paint us as something that we are not. And that's why I should say this is a great opportunity for us to stand up and, and really show who we are because, man, it's like like poking them right in the eye. In fact, the Bible says it's like pouring coals on top of their head. And uh, we're missing a great opportunity, Todd. And, and you know, that's those, it. Those, yeah. The, the, and thank you for saying that. You, you, people, people should look at you and, and the, in, in the, in the dictionary. What's a Christian? Well, Dave Dobmeyer's picture is right there. Doing, doing the Christian work of, of, uh, you're doing what Christians should do. They hate me, Doug, right? They hate me. Why yeah. do they hate me? They, they hate me. Well, Jesus said, first of all, don't be surprised when they hate you. They hated me first, right? He tells us that, so we shouldn't be surprised. But they hate us for the righteous stand that we make. And I do fight against uh, homosexuality. And I do fight against the, the homosexual agenda. And I fight against abortion. And I fight against ungodly government. And I fight against unrighteousness. And people don't like that. They don't want somebody who stands up and calls them out for what they do. But, Doug, see, there's two. This is, this is a balanced Christianity that we have. And one of the places where I really think that we're missing, missing it, and it is what I call the mercy ministry, which is what we see going on with Stuart Rhodes down in Puerto Rico. To go out of mercy to help those who need the uh, helping hand. That is part of the gospel. But Doug, that's not the only part of the gospel. There's also the prophetic ministry. The prophetic ministry is, dare, dare I say it, the masculine side of the gospel is, thus saith the Lord. Stop doing that. Straighten up. Stop messing around and doing the crazy things you're doing. Stop teaching that to my children. So we have the mercy side, which would be the lack of a better term, the feminine side of God. God's perfectly balanced. The feminine side of God, the mothering side to, to be able to help and serve and be kind to the, the downtrodden. But we also have that, that pointing finger, that prophetic side of it. And can I tell you the truth, Doug? I love the prophetic side of it more. I'm more cut out for the prophetic side. But I have to tell you, brother, when I go down and we do mercy ministry, there's nothing that touches my heart more, more than that. And you know, we have right now, I'm not, I'm, I'm not bragging. I'm heading towards, I'm heading towards something so people understand. We've got 20 people coming in this weekend down to Port Arthur from Kentucky Mountain Bible College. These are college students who are on their, there's some type of break, right? Whatever it is right now. And 20 of them are driving to Port Arthur, I'm sorry, I get, I get my cities mixed up. I've been so many places. Yeah, into Beaumont and Port Arthur. They're going to come down. They're going to spend 
five days down there working. And then next weekend, the following weekend, we currently have about seven guys who we consider to be guys are Mr. Fix-It. They know how to do drywall. They know how to lay flooring. They know how to uh, do repairs in homes. We've got seven of those guys who are coming in that next weekend to try to help restore. We've moved from a from a, a, a mercy ministry into a restoration now. We're still feeding them. We're still doing that kind of stuff in the community, but we're helping people get back in their homes. And not only doing that, training them how to put drywall in. We found the most amazing thing down there, especially in, in some of those areas that you and I would die going to Doug. I, I've been so humbled in so many ways. There are some guys down there, if you give them some drywall, brother, they'll put it up. They're not looking for a handout. They just need a hand. They need a little bit of help. So we're securing a bunch of drywall. We're doing it this weekend, going to have drywall down on the, down on the, on the ground that when our crew gets down there, they're going to be able to go out there and work and set it up. Now, my situation, our situation is different than Stewart's. Stewart is in an area, it's an island for heaven's sake. You can't drive to Puerto Rico. So he is in an entirely different situation and he is about six weeks behind us. So this idea of us constantly just running from crisis to crisis to crisis, at some point we have to raise up a body of Christ who's going to dig in and stay committed for a longer period of time than what we, this ain't the McDonald's, this ain't drive-through, brothers. This is going to take a long time. I heard somebody say maybe 10 years to restore what's happened in Puerto Rico. It's going to be years to restore what's happened down in Texas. And right now, our efforts are needed to help get these people back on their feet so they can at least survive till they can figure out a way to, to get their lives back together. No, you're, ab- you're absolutely right. And, uh, Coach, I just want to uh, say thank you to you know the the persistence of staying down there and, and sticking with it, as we've seen the media and so many others abandon uh, you know what's been going on with the hurricanes, not only in in Texas but also in Puerto Rico, and with all these other you know natural disasters and and terror attacks and things going on, it seems to be overshadowed and and really. I would imagine if you asked an average person on the street who casually pays attention to the news about the hurricanes, they would not think that anything's going on, that everything's all back to normal and and there's nothing to do, nothing to worry about. But uh, what you were talking about, about, you know, the the drywall and whatnot, um, you know, since the one thing that's great about YouTube, I saw a story on, on YouTube that showed a single mother who learned how to build a house from the ground up by watching YouTube videos and mm-hmm. I think, you know, the, what's the old saying? Uh, you know, te- uh, give a man a fish and he'll eat for a day. Teach a man to fish and, and he'll never go hungry. Um, you know, by being able to do this by not only uh, helping but empowering those in, of the local community to come together to learn how to do these things to help, it is uh, something very special. And hopefully that starts a chain reaction that gets everybody involved to the point of, you know, helping each other out until it's completed. But there's this attitude in America where, you know, out of sight, out of mind. So people who don't and aren't affected by things like this um, forget very fast, you know, that there are people in need and, and people do need help. And it's just, um, you know, it's awesome to see you and, and you gathering the, the people together to go down there to make that difference and be the example uh, instead of just you know talking about what we should do, you're 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 becoming that example. Just like the the scripture says, you know, it's one thing to just say you believe in the Lord, but if you follow His commandments, you're being that example. And 
not to skip around too much, but I'm with you. I'm I'm more the prophetic minded. I like that uh that stuff yeah, I do just too. as much as That's you that- do. But I've I've been I've been really stretched though, Joe, because it's been a long haul. I, I'm I, I'll be honest with you, it has not been easy. I mean, my life would have been a lot easier if we didn't decide that we were going to go down and do it. And I'm sure Stuart Rhodes would would say the same thing. And I I know Stuart wouldn't mind me saying this. The month some of the money that we've raised, Joe, we funneled just short of ten thousand dollars to Oath Keep. While they while they've been fighting down in in Florida, uh, I had several conversations with Stuart where they were running out of money. They were running out of money, and one. They were down in the Everglades, and Stewart said, Coach, if you guys don't get us – he didn't say it that way. He said, if we don't get some money, we're dead in the water. And we're able to get money directly to them right, right away so that they could they could stay actively involved. So, you know, you, I get on this show. Stewart asks for money. I'm not going to ask for money. I'm not going to ask it. But if you want to if you want to give some money that we, we can help Stewart and those guys out, we, we got a lot of stuff we got to get done. We've raised a lot of money, and we've, we've uh, set aside money for the drywall for different things like that. But Joe, we'll never have enough money. There'll never be enough money to do that. But I'm, what I'm saying to people is, give to Stewart, give to the Oath Keepers. If that's what you're so that you uh, that you're led to do, that'd be great. They need it. We need it. But we'll help Stewart. We've helped them in the, the Oath Keepers in the past, and we'll we'll help them again because I respect so much what it is they're doing. Do you have any idea a guy like Stewart Rhodes to give up two weeks of his life to be in Puerto Rico? Mm-hmm. There's no power, no no internet. Oh my goodness! See, you don't understand it if you haven't done it, right? Or Coach Dave Dunbar doing it, and, and that's the thing. And, and Coach, I just want to say, look, we are a religious community. I, I look at it, we are, and and I know that that I'll get emails and and criticized for saying this, but you know, um, there there's oftentimes we'll get we'll get somebody that will send us a check five dollars and on yeah. like a little post note, please send this to uh, Coach Dobmeyer. Please send this to uh, we haven't yet. Got gotten sewer roads, but please send this to, to the Oath Keepers. But for another cause, and and we do this, and so we're like a community, and we're we damn more effective than any government agency will oh, ever be. Doug. You know, and, <laughs> I'm and telling you, you go ask those people in Port Arthur. You go ask them yeah. in Port Arthur and what? And you go ask them. Yeah, there's no. It's not just us. Okay, I don't want to. I don't want to seem like we're we're making that big a difference. We're doing a diff. We're making a big difference in the life of a few people. But I can tell you, it's been the church and volunteer groups that have saved Port Arthur. It hasn't been FEMA. It hasn't been, I'm telling you, man, it hasn't been the Red Cross. It's been Samaritan's first, Billy Graham's group, Franklin Graham's group. They're good people. They're on the ground. That's a, that's good money to, good place to plant money into. But we have a unique, listen, Doug, no matter how much money people give, it does not in one iota affect the finances of past assault men. I don't get paid more. If I go to Florida four times, my salary doesn't increase. My benefits don't change at all. I have, I'm just doing my job. I'm doing my job whether I'm in Port Arthur or whether I'm outside of an abortion clinic or whether I'm at a homosexual pride parade. So all I can say to people is if money comes to us, it goes to the needy. That's where it goes. And we try to flow through local churches. Now, we have a pastor, Dale Sosha in New Orleans, Louisiana, who is really holding together our effort down in Port Arthur. He and Chris Keyes, who we had on the show the last time I was there, uh, Dale Sosha, King Jesus Ministries. We funnel the money through King Jesus Ministries. And Dale Sosha, he drives four hours one way 
to get to Port Arthur to make sure they have supplies to set up and organize what's going on. He's going to be there for these guys that are coming in this week from Kentucky Mountain Bible College. We have such a great opportunity to make the church great again. And folks, uh, you know, so people are so sick of religion. I am so ah with religion. I don't want to hear one more argument about religious issues. You sh- you shall know them by by uh, the by their fruit, right? You shall know them by their fruit. You shall know them by whether or not they love one another. That's a, that's how you're going to judge Christians. And all this infighting and competition is just stifling the gospel of Jesus Christ. And when we go to Port Arthur, we deliver the gospel and the supplies. We bring uh, we bring soap. We bring hamburgers, we bring bratwurst, and we bring tracts, and we bring Bibles, and we bring the gospel of Jesus Christ. And this is a great opportunity. These people, their houses, folks, just look at your house right now. And if somebody tried to break into your house right now, you would defend it with your life. All that stuff you've accumulated. But Pastor Dale Sosha pointed out something to me. He says, Coach, the thing that they had poured their life into, all their stuff, the day after that flood hit, it all became a burden to them because now their house was full of stuff that was wet and moldy and they had to get it out of the house. The thing that they put their whole life into at the end had become a burden. So now they're open to understand they've lost everything, but they're still alive. And here we are. We want to help you get back on your, that's what the body of Christ is supposed to do. At least the way I see. So coach, um, what are your your plans in the near future here uh, to continue the the efforts in Texas? I know you still have have people down there. Are you still looking for volunteers? Um, we are. What do you, we yeah, are. What do you guys uh, need? This this last weekend we were kind of shallow. We didn't we didn't have as many. Oh, that's not true. Because <laughs> the Lord always provides that. We 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 fed probably last weekend. You say fed folks. They don't have stoves. Okay. <laughs> They don't have microwaves. They lost everything. All right, they many crime. If we could, un- if we could understand this, we think their lives are back together, and their lives are not back together. And we're feeding in the in the in the neighborhood of probably uh, fifteen, sixteen, two thousand meals a week in, down down there in Port Arthur. And so, as we continue to try to do that, Doug, Joe, now we're trying to. Uh, we're trying to move to the next phase, which is the rehabilitate, rehabilitation. Now, this weekend, I had to come home because I have a, uh, uh, I'm committed to do something else. And what happens out of nowhere, some people show up down there and they're able to keep the feeding going on and, and all, all of that. And we have this, as I said, next weekend, we have 20 coming in, at least 20 the following weekend. We could maybe use some help, some people to come in the following weekend. And then Doug from Joe, from there on, it depends. Do we have volunteers? Will people come and help us? Can you give us a weekend? And as we said the last time that we were on there, on the show, we'll help with your transportation costs. We'll help you get down there. But you know what? The most amazing thing happens. If you show up with some drywall, they know how, a lot of those people know how to do it. They're, they're laborers. They know how to do it. They just don't have the money and they don't have the supplies. And so that's one of the things that, that uh, we're trying to do. I just sent, I uh, just overnighted $10,000 down there to my friend uh, Dale Sosha in, in New Orleans. And he's going to get there. We believe it takes $2,000, uh, rounded off, $2,000 
in drywall per home to get that house back and live. Two thousand. So ten thousand bucks sounds like a lot, yeah. but it's five homes, five homes, and and we're going to have two weeks from the day. Five homes are going to be restored, and five people are going to have some sense of normalcy come back to their lives. Now there are five thousand that don't have it, but brother, you can only do what you can do. Yeah, and that's um, amazing that the how much five, ten thousand dollars would cover the drywall for five. Homes. Yep. You, I mean, you made the labor's free, right? Yeah. The labor's free, right? The labor's free. Yeah. Uh, now these guys are, you know, they're coming down there bringing their own tools. Big Rich, one of one of my buddies, he said, "Hey, coach, I figured it out. I can put fifty pounds worth of tools in my in my luggage, and I'll bring all my tools down with me." These are guys who love to love to go serve, and and so uh, we just want to make sure that we have the finances that when they get down there, the drywall's waiting on them. So that's why we sent the money down there, and we'll send more money next week, and. Uh, we need money, but money's not, I said last time, Doug, money's not the issue. It's, it's boots on the ground. <laughs> we need a little bit more help. So yep. uh, I, I said last week too, you know, we, we bit off a lot, man. Sometimes you, you take a big bite and you say, man, my stomach was bigger than, or my eyes were bigger than my stomach. And, uh, we spread ourselves really, really thin down there. I'm, I'm not, not ashamed to say that, but the outpouring of support has been, has been an unbelievable financial support. And, People willing to help, and uh, I would be remiss if I didn't say. Well, listen. Here's the lesson in, in it for you. You have got to get organized local. You have got to get organized local. If some traumatic event were to happen in your town, right where you live, is your church prepared to do anything? Are you prepared, or are you just all of a sudden you're going to get smacked and say, "Golly, now what do we?" Or better yet. Maybe you're not even involved with the church. Do you know guys? Do you know who lives in your neighborhood? Do you know your neighbor? Do you know what skills he has? Is there a prepper down the street that you don't even know is down the street? Are there people within your own community that when the crap hits the fan, wouldn't it be a good idea to figure out, hey, this guy can do plumbing and this guy can do drywall and this guy here, he can, he can do this and this guy can, wouldn't that be a good idea? So I'm telling you, if you will open your eyes and look around, there are there is calamity after calamity after calamity. The scripture says that the rain falls on the just and the unjust. Folks, let's get prepared. Let's get ready because, man, we don't want to be like those foolish virgins that didn't keep our, our lamps trimmed. And uh, we can't say, Doug, Joe, <laughs> that we didn't see it coming, that we haven't been warned. We can't say that, brother. It's <laughs> I'm not laughing. And I'm you know what? Uh, it's I got, happening everywhere, man. And, and you know what? It's not going to stop, Coach. It's and no. for, for those people who, who no. want to make fun of the uh, the prophetic side of this. Well, well, you know what? That's your right. You go ahead. Um, but but I I'll tell you what. Though you know is what we're seeing. I would say is unprecedented. It, mm-hmm. You know, I would agree with John Haller, his prophecy uh, uh, update yesterday, and I think I think only those who look at current events and and what you've seen personally in Port Arthur, what uh, Stuart Rhodes has seen in, in uh, Puerto Rico, the wildfires and such, um, all of this. How else would you explain this if not through the well, Doug, context of the Bible? Here, here's what I'm trying to get people to, to understand, and I, you know, I've been on several shows, so if I repeat myself, I I, I apologize, but I was. Uh, I was struck uh, a couple weeks ago was when I, we were at the, the conference, Doug. Yeah. When uh, the Holy when the Holy Spirit said to me, "This is that." When the Holy Spirit fell in the Book of Acts, uh, 
Peter stood up and said to him, hey, don't be shocked here. I'm paraphrasing. Don't be shocked. This is that, that the prophet Joel woke up. This is that. Doug, this is that. Exactly. Right? Look, look around. This is that. And do we think that this stuff has just happened by coincidence? Do what? Do we really think so? Hey, Doug, you know this, and I'm not going to. I'm not going to go down the rabbit hole. But we know some of those something really fishy about those fires. We saw trees burning from the inside out. We saw we saw cars that got absolutely burnt to a frizzle, and a tree standing right beside it that didn't burn. I'm not going to go into the particulars of that. But something almost supernatural happened out there in in, in uh, San Francisco. We know, we know, we just see it everywhere that we go, right? And remember this: that the rain falls on the just and the unjust. And if your attitude, friends, is just to sit back and say, "Well, gee, it's the end time, and I'm just going to wait, wait on the rapture," shame on you, shame on you, because you might be okay. And if there is a rapture and you're snatched out of here, I'm going to. What about all those people? who aren't aware of it, or all those people who we could have made a difference in their lives, and we have these tremendous, right now, these tremendous uh, disasters that are everywhere, and the church seems oblivious to understand what's going on around. Well said. And so, I mean, that's very necessary how you framed it, how you described it, and what you said. And it's about time that we as Christians collectively get together. And it's important because let's not wait for a disaster to befall us. Let's be proactive in our preparation and doing what we do. And, Coach, in the few minutes we have left, how best – you got to be, like, wiped out. I'm just listening to you, just wiping me out, but – how best can we help you, uh, Coach Dave Dalmar, in in your efforts? Again, uh, well, well, the Lord is supplying the Lord is supplying our needs, uh, uh, supplying all of our needs through His riches and glory through Christ Jesus. We do appreciate that, here, here, Doug. You know, I've been trying for it's been twenty years since I walked away from teaching and coaching, and I've been on a man hunt twenty years. If you can whittle down my life, that's what it's been. I'm trying to find men. I'm trying to find men of God who will stand up and push back and show us their faith. <clears throat> and I've been really, really doing that. You know, we started something called the Salt and Light Brigade, and I had this vision years and years ago to try to get people to get organized locally, not to join a club. But back when I was a young kid, back in the 1960s, we had what was called the Civil Defense. And it was local guys. We were worried about, you know, the nuclear fallout and all that stuff. And local men got together and they provided the civil defense. In other words, they were going to protect their community. And one of my dreams has been to raise up a crew of godly men called a salt and light brigade that we would be organized in every city, every county in the United States of America. That there would be a brigade. We would start out with a brigade in Texas, and which we have, a brigade in Ohio, which we have, and a brigade up in Maine, which we have, and a brigade in Wisconsin, which we have, that now these men would begin to draw other men together and say, look, guys, let's look at the storm cloud. Jesus said that you can sit on your porch and see the storm clouds building and know it's going to be a stormy day. He says, why can't you discern the signs of the time? And so rather than us depending on government, by the way, Doug, I don't know what you think. If I see a black SUV pull up in my driveway, I ain't real excited. I don't know about everybody else. To me, that ain't a real good sign, right? <laughs> yeah. So I'm, I'm saying, listen, let's keep the government out of this thing, and let's make the church great again. God-fearing men who are going to stand up and be prepared and be ready to defend their cities. And one of the problems that we're having 
let me lean a little bit closer, is men won't come out. Men are men are afraid. Men cower. Men, are, I don't. Who? Hey, dudes, who the hell do you think's gonna do it? If the Hagman and Hagman crowd isn't gonna do it, who the hell's gonna do it? Amen. And so that's my heart. Say, coach, I don't even know what I can do, but I'll do something. Plug me in, put me in, coach. I'll do whatever I can. We need guys to stand up wherever they are, whatever communities they are. I've told them all this. I'll come to your city. I'll help you get a brigade up and running. Call whatever you want to. It doesn't have to be part of the Salt and Light Brigade, but I know this. When trouble hits, you know what I do? I pick up this thing right here, and I call Big Rich, or I call Kevin Bushy, or I call whoever. Say, boys, we got to do something, and they come. And when there's a calamity in Texas, we all go to Texas. When there's a calamity in, in D.C., we go to D.C. We have got to begin to do, to me, Doug, Joe, that's the local church. And there are different is. denominations, men who don't even go to go to church together, men who don't even go to church, who are going to raise up and going to defend their local community. From a righteous point of view, this is not hard. But it's been difficult, brothers. It's, uh, it's not hard. And the part of it is, we all get trapped in our denominationalism and our pastor says this and our pastor says that. Well, where the hell's your pastor? Is he down in, is he down in Port Arthur? Is he um, in, in San Juan, Puerto Rico? Hell no, he isn't there. Pardon my language. No, he isn't there. Well, how about finding somebody who is there and getting involved? And that's, and that's, that's exactly that, that's, right. That's more, that's more important to me than money. That's more important to me than anything. Because the time is coming, brother. You know this, Doug. You know this, Joe. The time is coming where we are going to have to rise up locally if we're going to have any chance of surviving in some of our communities. I really, in the deep, deepest part of my being, believe that. And it's coming sooner rather than later, Joe. Yeah, yes, and, sir. And yes, if sir. Um, more churches would, you know, band together and, um, you know, send groups of, of people who are willing to volunteer to these other areas, uh, that that would set a great example, and unfortunately, people are so afraid of going outside of their comfort zone. Uh, you know, they don't want their their lives interrupted, so they'll they'll give the the ten or twenty dollars to the Red Cross, thinking you know they're doing done the same job, service right? as you know somebody yeah. who's there on the ground, uh, giving help to to real life victims, and it's not the same at all. But if the people would would instead of donating to the Red Cross and these other organizations, um, you know, donate their time, get together. Uh, take a missionary trip uh, and relief effort trip down to some of these places. It's it just the it's just a quarter or even ten percent of the churches in this country would do that. Oh, what, Imagine you wouldn't even take that. Make. Hey, Doug, Joe, how about this? What if ten percent of the churches showed up at their local city council meeting? What yeah. if ten percent of the churches showed up at the local abortion clinic? What if ten percent of the churches showed up at the school board meeting? See, we are not winning the battle because we are refusing to engage in the battle. That's and that right. old theologian, the great Ohio State football coach, Woody Hayes, said he never saw a football player make a tackle with his with a smile on his face. <laughs> Doug, this is not going to be easy, brother. We are at war. When we are at war for the souls of men, we are at war for the future of Western civilization. If people can't see that, I don't even know what to tell them. And we're doing everything that we can. You don't have to be a follower of me. You don't have to join the Salt and Library Brigade. But 
for goodness sake, where you live, men of God, begin to arise and stand up and defend your communities. And have to be prepared at a moment's notice to go help your neighbor in his community. That's my vision, brother. And, and I'm going to keep pushing. I'm going to keep pushing after that thing till the Lord calls me home. Coach Dave Dobmeyer, we thank you so much for everything you've done, for the risks and for the uh, risks you've taken, and for the inconvenience that has uh, that you've uh, taken upon yourself, and but for the people you've helped, we thank you, and we look at you as as a model, at least I do, um, and I thank you for your dedication to Christianity, sense of purpose, and everything you've done, and I thank you so much for for everything. Doug, I'm, Doug, I'm going to go down with us with a Bible in one hand. And a, and a hammer in the other, brother. <laughs> I'm going to go down fighting for all I'm worth for the cause of Christ, making a difference. Jesus said, work while the sun shines, for a day cometh when no man can work. I just checked it out. The sun's down right now, but the sun's going to be up tomorrow, and I'm going to do everything I can for the cause of Christ. And I call Christian men and women all across America. Please join us in this struggle. Amen, brother. Thank you. You've taken us out tonight. God bless you. And... uh Hey, Thanks, we'll talk to you soon. All right, that was Coach Dave Dobmeyer. Always, always an honor. Thanks. That's it's our honor. It's Coach Dave Dobmeyer. And, and for for again for people, uh, you know the the lunatic left. What the hell have you done to help others? <laughs> God bless you. Good night, everyone. 